we are proud to announce WrestleCopia brand and the WrestleCopia Podcast Network, which you can find over at www.wrestlecopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com, WrestleCopia.com. You may have heard me mention the WrestleCopia brand in passing on a variety of our shows. You might be asking, what is WrestleCopia? Well, the name derives from the words wrestle for wrestling and copia, which is defined as having plenty or an abundance of. It's abundance of wrestling history over at WrestleCopia.com as the podcast never continues to grow with a variety of podcasts. Everything from our show, The Wrestling Memory Grenade, where we take a trip down memory lane to wrestling history's past as we analyze and dissect complete years of wrestling history from your favorite promotions, to Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, an in-depth look and weekly breakdown of the entire Raw vs. Nitro War. TR Shocks the World, where host Tom Robinson makes his long away to return to the wrestling airwaves. Tom does everything from break down the current product to share inside stories and memories from years gone by. It's discretion advised as TR shocks the world with his strong opinions, hilarious impressions, and so much more. The WrestleCopia News Network is a special feature podcast. You can expect more late-breaking news, timely discussions, and tributes to the fallen legends on future episodes of WCNN. We've also got other podcasts being prepped for their debuts, including a territory-based show we like to call The Money and the Miles. There's an old saying in the world of professional wrestling that nothing in this business is real except the money made and the miles traveled. In this podcast, we discuss the territory era, with shows focusing on everything from show reviews to yearly breakdowns to episodes focusing on some of the rare, lesser-known territories and outlaw promotions of yesteryear. Stop on over to WrestleCopia.com for all the latest shows and follow us on Twitter, at WrestleCopia. That's on Twitter, at WrestleCopia, for all the latest news and information on the podcast network. Turn it on and rip the knob off. Guys, welcome back to another edition of the Wrestling Memory Grenade, and we are at episode number 55 here this week. And I am your host, Ray Russell, and excited this week as we talk to you all about the news and notes of December in 1993 in the World Wrestling Federation, as well as the next three weeks of WWF TV following the Survivor Series pay-per-view. That's the final week of November TV, followed by the first week and a half of December TV here. And that means next week, that'll leave us with just the final three weeks of December TV on The Grenade, where we finally close out 1993 in the World Wrestling Federation. And for those who missed it, as we were heading into Mania 38 weekend, we dropped episode number 54, the Survivor Series 93 watch along a little early last week. And what a fun show that was. We dropped it early, Tuesday night, for those who were looking out for it, and that's why you should subscribe to the Wrestling Memory Grenade wherever you go, whether it's Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you go to listen to your favorite podcasts. All you got to do is subscribe to the Wrestling Memory Grenade. And hey, while you're there, leave us a little feedback. Give us five stars. Share a little insight on what makes you a big fan of the Wrestling Memory Grenade. It goes a long way for our show to see that feedback out there, guys. So leave us a nice little message there. That'd be, that'd be kind. And the reason that Survivor Series 93 Watch Along dropped so early was because I wanted to try to get some things done around here 
before my brother and his family came up over this past weekend. It was a fun time, great time. I wish the weather could have been a little nicer to us. Lots of mud in the yard and not exactly the warmest of days, but we had a great time. It was not only WrestleMania on our TV screen Saturday and Sunday night, but it was Hot Tub Mania Saturday night. Me and my brother actually got to enjoy some of WrestleMania night one sitting in the hot tub, having some beers. It was a great time. We had a lot of fun all weekend. I want to thank my brother. I know he's listening out there for coming up and visiting my family. Uh, it's a lot harder for us to make the trip down there with all the kids and everything. So big, big ups to my bro who came up and visited over the weekend, had a blast, brother. But it's right back to the grenade, which I know he listens to. And I know if you're listening to this, apparently you listen too. But today we talk all WWF TV from the November 27th episode of Superstars all the way through the December 11th episode of Superstars. Seven TV programs to get through, plus all of the December news and notes before we move on in just a couple weeks to the World Wrestling Federation in 1987. We made that announcement last week. For those who did not listen to the Survivor Series watch-along episode, you guys missed out on a big show. Not only did we mention our new free prize giveaway, but we talked about where we were headed next, which is 1987 in the WWF. We also had probably one of my favorite, if not my personal favorite, Virgil of the week thus far here on the grenade. And we still got this week to go with old Virg before we close out Virgil of the week. But we roll on and we can't get to 1987 until we finish 1993. So let's get the ball rolling, shall we? And a reminder, you can listen to the Wrestling Memory Grenade, not just here on WrestleCopia.com as part of the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. That's WrestleCopia.com. Not only can you find all of our WrestleCopia shows, Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, TR Shocks the World, and yes, of course, the Wrestling Memory Grenade over there at WrestleCopia, but you can also listen to our shows, our sister shows, all of our shows here at the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. You can follow us and listen to us on all of your favorite podcast streaming apps. And that list includes, but is not limited to, the likes of Apple, Spotify, Google Pod, Pocket Cast, Overcast, Stitcher, TuneIn, Audible on Amazon, iHeartRadio, CastBox, Castro, Podbean, Radio Public, Breaker, Himalaya, Listen Notes, and so many more. And of course, now also on the Facebook app here in the United States under our RSS feed. We're everywhere, guys, and coming soon to YouTube. And speaking of YouTube, you want to head over to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash wrestling grenade. That's R-A-S-S-L-I-N grenade, youtube.com slash wrestling grenade. Go over there and check it out. Tons of videos up, all kinds of rarities, exclusives, fun stuff from the year of 1993 in the WWF, the feud between the USWA and the WWF 93. Also, lots of good stuff from 1989 in the NWA. For those who are late bloomers to the show who have just joined on in the last several weeks, months, here on The Grenade, we started it all off with 1989 in the NWA. What a fun time that was traveling through the year of 1989. Now we're finishing up 1993, and soon we'll be on to 1987 here in the WWF. But head on over to YouTube. I'm constantly adding new content, and there's a lot more coming this week. So now is a good time as ever not only to go over to our YouTube account, but subscribe so you never miss a thing. That address, once again, youtube.com slash wrestling grenade. And speaking of the grenade, speaking of the WrestleCopia podcast network, we are looking for new co-hosts, guys. WrestleCopia looking for new co-hosts here on the Wrestling Memory Grenade, as well as Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, and more. Full-time, part-time guest co-hosts from other shows. Come plug your podcast right here on WrestleCopia, and let's have some fun conversation in the process. It's all about creating new content for the listeners, the wrestling fans out there. 
just like you and me. So full-time, part-time, even a guest co-host spot, I'm welcoming everyone. All you need is a microphone, the ability to use Skype Messenger, and a little free time to record some shows. That's all it takes, guys. And you can contact me about joining the WrestleCopia Podcast Network or even just sliding in for a guest spot. And how do you join? All you got to do is contact me, guys, whether you want to be a full-time, part-time, or just slide in as a guest co-host. And that contact information is you can email me, first and foremost, at WrestleCopia. That's WrestleCopia at gmail.com. Or DM me on Twitter. And yes, we're on Facebook as well but I don't check it as often. So it's probably best to drop me an email at WrestleCopia at gmail.com or possibly DM me on Twitter at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. And as we talk about social media, I would be remiss if I didn't mention you guys can follow us right now on Twitter at Wrestling Grenade. Once again, that's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade, home of the free prize giveaway. Also follow and like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash wrestling grenade and be sure to follow us on twitter follow and like us on facebook for your chance to enter and win all of our future free prize giveaways including our current giveaway for those who missed this announcement last week a real memory grenade of wrestling history's past as we cover four different decades by offering you the free prize giveaway of four count them four wrestling magazines one winner Those magazines include a 1952 boxing and wrestling magazine, Jersey Joe Walcott on the cover, 1966 magazine with Bruno San Martino, 1974 with the famous or infamous Mil Mascaras on the cover in 1984, who else but Hulk Hogan on the cover of that one, pummeling Antonio Inoki, four decades, four magazines, 1952 all the way up to 1984. All you got to do to win all four of these magazines is be a follower of The Grenade. It's that simple. Follow us on Twitter, follow and like us on Facebook, or do both, double your chance of winning. Facebook.com slash Wrestling Grenade. And again, follow us on Twitter at Wrestling Grenade, R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. That's the home of the free prize giveaway. And last but not least, before we jump into things, it's our revamped and all new WrestleCopia Patreon account. And as you guys may know by now, over a dozen tiers to choose from there, starting as low as one buck, a $1 tier, over at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. That's WrestleCopia, guys. But you all know by now, my favorite tier, say it with me, the $5 all-access tier gets you all sorts of things, and even more now than ever. That's right, I've added even more to the $5 all-access tier. Not only does it get you all of my insanely detailed show notes for every episode of The Grenade, as well as Monday Warfare, but it also gets you early access to many of our WrestleCopia podcasts. You can listen days, sometimes more than a week, before the rest of the listeners out there. Before we drop live everywhere else, you can go to Patreon and listen to the shows long before the rest of the listeners. Also, as part of the all-access tier, it's unedited versions of TR Shocks the World, as if you think what you've heard on TR Shocks the World is bad enough. Tom Robinson says even more in the unedited versions over at our Patreon account. And of course, in the past, we rounded everything out with, yes, our Patreon-exclusive watch-along series, covering all sorts of WWF and WCW pay-per-views, Saturday Night's Main Event, Clash of the Champions, Coliseum videos, so much more. And that's still part of the all-access tier, but we've added even more. You heard me right. We've added even more to the $5 tier. So you get our insanely detailed show notes, early access to the WrestleCopia podcast, unedited versions 
of TR Shocks the World, and yes, the Patreon-exclusive watch-along series. But what have you done now, Ray Russell? Well, now I've added to the tier, and I announced this last week, but for those who missed it, first of all, go back and listen to episode 54. What a blast we had with Survivor Series 93. But getting back to the all-access tier at Patreon, we've added even more. What you ask may that be? Well, I mentioned last week I was dissatisfied with the audio on some of our very early episodes, the editing and audio. Well, let's face it. I was learning on the go, and it wasn't perfect. And finally, I had a little free time. I went back, and I began editing some of our earliest episodes of the Wrestling Memory Grenade, not only altering the audio so that the sound is of better quality, but I've actually re-edited the shows from scratch, meaning the actual show itself has new content. There was actually content when I thought I knew it all when I was getting going here. I was editing certain conversations out of the shows that I deemed unimportant at the time or off topic. Well, I went back, I listened to the shows again, and I began re-editing the show, like I said, not only for sound quality, but for content itself. And now the show's even longer than the original. And now as a member of the $5 all-access tier already up and running, it's Wrestling Memory Grenade episode number one, setting the stage. In 1989, NWA, we talk about the fallout from 1988, Dusty Rhodes getting demoted and covers several weeks of January 89 TV in the process as well. And yes, there are new bits of never-heard-before unedited content that was originally left out the first time the show went up, so it's the Wrestling Memory Grenade Episode 1 already up. Now as part of the all-access tier at Patreon, more to come in the weeks to come. But give it a listen, not only is it easier on the ears, but there's new content and conversation that I think you guys may find interesting. And you get all of that for the low, low price of just $5, the all-access tier. No subscriptions. Cancel any time. Give it a go for a month. I think you'll like the content we offer, and every penny of it goes right back into the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. So please help us pay some of the bills to keep the Wrestling Memory Grenade, Monday Warfare, the Battles Within, TR Shocks the World, and so much more up and running for the years to come. Again, the address, patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. As we move on with the show, here we go. It's December news for 1993 in the WWF. And after all the big news in November, Vince McMahon indicted in the steroid trial. Coming up here in 1994, Jerry Lawler also indicted on statutory sexual charges. We know they'll be dropped. The King will return by WrestleMania 10. But he's out right now, and it's a lot lighter here in the news department. I'm happy to say a lot happier and lighter news month here in the WWF as we finish up the grenade here in 1993 in the WWF. And we kick things off with Outthink the Fink, as in Howard Finkel. In a cost-cutting measure, the WWF has released several interviewers, ring announcers, and hosts from Mean Gene Okerlund to Bonnie Blackstone to Mike McGurk to Joe Fowler. And another big one coming up here, guys, later in this episode of The Grenade. And I think you guys know who I'm talking about. So December of 1993, what do we do for an interviewer? Well, we'll see Raymond Rougeau step in at first, but also, believe this or not, Howard Finkel is given a tryout or at least a fill-in as an interviewer. Unfortunately, we won't see much of that here in December of 93, but by January of 94, several interviews will make air featuring Howard Finkel as the interviewer up on the stage. Now, that doesn't last very long for poor Howard, but I like to think he had a blast doing it. This next news bit I have labeled, only one doink. We'll find out very shortly here that WWF President Jack Tunney will be making a ruling following the Survivor Series pay-per-view and all the nonsense that went on there. 
and I do mean nonsense for those who didn't listen or have never seen the pay-per-view. Once again, I encourage you to go back and listen last week. Men on a Mission doinks, Luke and Butch doinks, what were we doing, guys? And of course, Matt Bourne gone, so Ray Apollo, the main doink now. Anywho, getting back to the news bit, WWF President Jack Tunney has made a ruling following the pay-per-view that there can only be one doink from this point forward here in the WWF. My only response to that was, why didn't he do this eight months ago after WrestleMania 9? Anywho, Santa Claus will pull one over on all of us guys, including Jack Tunney, but you'll just have to wait and see what happens with Santa and Doink the Clown here later in this episode of The Grenade. Hey, the Steiners, remember those guys that won the WWF Tag Team titles, lost the WWF Tag Team titles, reportedly failed a drug test, steroids, I believe, and they were suspended from the house shows for six weeks. Well, they're back on the house show circuit, but they've also made a deal with Vince to where they can actually work Japan. You heard me right. Working outside of the promotion, unheard of during this era, but the Steiner brothers went over to Osaka, Japan and worked for the New Japan promotion. On December 13, 1993, it was the Steiners defeating the IWGP Tag Team Champions, Scott Norton and Hercules. You remember Hercules Hernandez? We're going to see him a whole bunch in 1987 in the WWF, but it was the Steiners defeating the Tag Team Champions, Scott Norton and Hercules in a non-title match. And a big congratulations to Rick and Scott Steiner just inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame just a couple days ago. But as we move on, there was a six-woman women's title tournament. You heard me right, six women. That's all they could find. Six-woman title tournament to crown the WWF Women's Champion. And the results are right here in front of me. So here we go. We kick things off. A first-round match featuring what is written online as Medusa. Now, whether she was announced as that or not, I'm not certain but we know she'll eventually become a Lundra Blaze here by the end of the tournament. But it is Medusa over Allison Royal in the first round, November 29th in the Mid-South Coliseum, Memphis, Tennessee, as part of the USWA. So Vince has stopped sending wrestlers down there, but apparently Medusa is okay. Also at a TV taping as part of the WWF in Springfield, Massachusetts, November 30th, two more first-round women's matches see Heidi Lee Morgan over the Black Venus and Rusty Thomas defeating Angie Marino. As we move on is the semifinals, and apparently it looks like Medusa gets a bye straight into the finals, and Lundra Blaze straight to the finals, while Heidi Lee Morgan over Rusty Thomas in Utica, New York on December 1st is part of the TV tapings there. So now in the finals, here it is, Poughkeepsie, New York, Mid-Hudson Civic Center, December 13th. This will actually air on All-American Wrestling December 26th. The WWF Women's Title Tournament Finals, Alundra Blaze over Heidi Lee Morgan with the German suplex, Alundra Blaze becomes the WWF Women's Champion in just six and a half minutes. Congratulations to Medusa. So at least we'll see just a bit of a lunge of blaze before we close out 93 here. As far as injury notes go, I'm happy to report no real injuries here in December. In fact, lots of fake injuries to cover here, including the return of both Quebecer, Pierre, and Tatanka from their worked injuries on TV. We know Borga and Yokozuna took out Tatanka. We'll see him back on TV here by mid-December. Also, Quebecer Pierre returns almost immediately here in December after being knocked out from Lex Luger's bionic forearm. Also, Bam Bam Bigelow, we saw him return at the Survivor Series. Bam Bam had missed all of November up until the pay-per-view because his wife was expecting a brand new baby. Congratulations to the Bigelow family. But Bam Bam Bigelow is back in action and looking for Doink the Clown. As we move into the December house show loops, 
And remember, guys, we're back to Group A and Group B. Two groups here in the WWF, once again, trying to work house shows simultaneously. And we kick off December at Group A in North America, while Group B over in Europe touring. And the house shows for week one of December in the WWF here in North America looked like this. It was Owen Hart over Johnny Polo, the Head Shrinkers over Men on a Mission, Bam Bam Bigelow pinning Doink the Clown. Lex Luger continues to pin Ludwig Borga each and every night. Bastion Booger over Marty Jannetty. The Steiner brothers defeating tag team champion Quebecers on disqualification. Most nights it sounded like the finish was Scott Steiner nailing Pierre with the Frankensteiner making the cover and Jacques breaking up the count, attacking the referee, essentially preventing the referee from making the count, causing the disqualification. So the Steiners are winning the matches, albeit on a disqualification. The main events here in North America, here in the States and Canada, it's Brett the Hitman Hart over Double J Jeff Jarrett. You might be asking, what the hell? When did that happen? Remember, this was slated to be Bret Hart taking on Jerry the King Lawler, but Lawler removed from WWF for the time being due to his indictment. So Jeff Jarrett sliding in now in December to fill in for the King. Makes sense. They're both USWA boys. But Bret Hart pinning Jeff Jarrett each night in nearly 20-minute matches. And one of, at least one of those nights featured a special guest referee, the Big Boss Man. You heard me right, the Big Boss Man. And the boss man was actually scheduled to work as a special referee for several of these matches. But I can only confirm it happened at least one of the nights. And we'll get to why here in just a little bit after we talk about the house show results. So that's what was taking place over in the United States in week one of December. Bret Hart and Jeff Jarrett in the main event. The Steiners going for the tag team titles over on the European tour every night. It's the one, two, three kid over the model Rick Martel. Adam Baum over Virgil. Razor Ramon pinning IRS. The Smoking Guns going over the ever-popular Red and Black Knight, who happened to be Barry Horowitz and the Brooklyn Brawler. So, so Horowitz getting to keep the Red Knight gear, continue to work as the Red Knight. Jeff Gaylord, not so lucky. He was one and done at the Survivor Series as the Black Knight. It's the Brooklyn Brawler here over in Europe as the Smoking Guns defeat the Knights every night. See what I did there? Also as part of the tour, the returning Native American Tatanka pinning Diesel. With the Papoose to go each and every night, Tatanka subbing for the missing in action Mr. Perfect. So Tatanka over Diesel every night here in Europe. The Macho Man Randy Savage. Mm, yeah, what a match. Randy Savage pinning Shawn Michaels after distractions from Razor Ramon each night. So not only do we get the forward progress of the upcoming feud between Razor Ramon and Shawn Michaels, everybody gets to see the Macho Man take on Shawn Michaels over in Europe. And the main event of the night was The Undertaker going over on WWF champion Yokozuna on a disqualification after Mr. Fuji interference with the salt bucket. So over in the States, it's Bret Hart and Jeff Jarrett. Over here in England, Wales, Germany, the first week of December, it's The Undertaker and Yokozuna, Randy Savage, and Shawn Michaels. Not a bad little card. But we move on as both the A and B teams now back in the United States. We see a merger of the rosters of sorts, at least here in East Rutherford, New Jersey at the Meadowlands. They get a big show here in the Meadowlands on December 12th in front of 7,000 fans. It's Owen Hart going over Bastion Booger, the Head Shrinkers, beating men on a mission, the model, defeating Virgil. Hey, Virgil's getting to work the house shows again. He's got to be a happy guy. Doink the Clown pinning Bam Bam Bigelow. The Macho Man and Crush battle to a double countout in just over 16 minutes. That can't be pretty, and no offense to the Macho Man. IRS over at Marty Jannetty with the write-off and WWF Intercontinental Champion Razor Ramon teaming 
with his good buddy, the one, two, three kid, defeating the team of Johnny Polo and Adam Bomb. Remember, Polo used to be the manager of Adam Bomb, and now he's teaming with Adam Bomb here. It's Razor Ramon and the kid over Johnny Polo and Adam Bomb in their corner. Harvey Whippleman with Adam Bomb, Johnny Polo accompanied by Quebecer Pierre with the finishing Razor Ramon pinning Adam Bomb with the Razor's Edge and Johnny Polo walking out on his one-time wrestler. After Bomb had accidentally hit Polo, knocked him off the apron, Johnny Polo said to hell with this, and Adam Bomb does the job for the team. Not the manager, Johnny Polo. That would make more sense. Let's job out the manager here in this instance. No, it's Adam Bomb doing the job to Razor Ramon in that tag team match. And we close out the night. It's Lex Luger, yet again, pinning Ludwig Borga. And we're a little bit light here in December as far as house shows go. In fact, there are no house shows, just TV tapings between the dates of December 13th and Christmas, December 25th. Ten days off did the WWE superstars get here in 93. You didn't see that very often back in the peak days, but here in 93, they can afford to do it. The house is not that great. Remember, they canceled a lot of B shows because the houses weren't great anyway here in December. So here it is, 10 days off. The entire roster is given other than TV tapings. So a very Merry Christmas to the WWF roster, but we come back, we pick things up the day after Christmas, December 26th in Kitchener, Ontario. The WWF now invading Canada here after Christmas as we see Owen Hart over Adam Bomb. The smoking guns continue to beat those pesky red and black knights. Shawn Michaels pinning the 1-2-3 kid. The Undertaker over WWF champion Yokozuna again on disqualification. Intercontinental champion Razor Moan pinning IRS. And the Steiner brothers over the Quebecers on a countout, plus Randy Savage defeating Crush. What a card there in Kitchener after Christmas. Look at this. Razor Ramon defending his title against IRS. The Undertaker and Yokozuna. Shawn Michaels and the Kid on the undercard. The Steiners going after the Quebecers in those tag team titles. Randy Savage and Crush. Wow, what a night of action. And just a few notes here for the same night in the Maple Leaf Gardens over in Toronto. A doubleheader this day, it would appear. Kitchener, a matinee. Well, we move on to Maple Leaf Gardens later in the day in Toronto, December 26th. It's the same troop of wrestlers, but an entirely different card, including matches seeing the IRS over the 1-2-3 kid, Intercontinental Champion Razor Ramon, defeating Shawn Michaels on a reverse decision. So Razor and Shawn going at it here in the Maple Leaf Gardens Plus. Crush pins the Macho Man in a best two out of three falls. Falls count anywhere's match after Randy Savage was attacked by Yokozuna before the third fall began and was forced to forfeit the final fall. So Crush over Randy Savage with a little help from Yokozuna there. As we move on, you might ask, what was the B team doing on the very same day after Christmas, December 26th? Because everybody's back in action. Well, listen to this card, guys. December 26th, Saginaw, Michigan. Bastion Booger over Virgil. Doink beating Bam Bam Bigelow. Jeff Jarrett pinning Marty Jannetty. It's Lex Luger continuing to defeat Ludwig Borger, this time in a flag match. Plus the head shrinkers over Min on a Mission. And Tatanka beating Diesel. Look at that card. Bastion Booger over Virgil. Tatanka over Diesel. Doink and Bam Bam. The head shrinkers beating Min on a Mission. That Luger and Borger match, which is completely played out at this point. Jaron Janetti sounds great on paper, but no more than a mid-card match here. And Saginaw, what a night. And no wonder the WWF is having trouble selling tickets to the B-Shows, drawing only 2,100 fans there in Saginaw. As we move on to the final few days here in December on the house show loop, the WWF also 
makes their way to Chicago, Illinois, and the Rosemont Horizon in front of nearly 8,000 fans. December 28th, Owen Hart over Bastion Booger Crush, defeating Randy Savage in yet another Falls Count Anywhere match. This time, it was Ludwig Borga who comes ringside to prevent Randy Savage from returning to the ring within 60 seconds of being pinned on the floor, thus allowing Crush the win. Remember the rules of WrestleMania 10, Falls Count Anywhere? They started practicing, if you will, the match all the way back here in December, and that's what we get here is uh, Crush makes the pin, and remember the wrestler had 60 seconds to return to the ring, otherwise they lose the match. Well, it was Ludwig Borga preventing Randy Savage from making his way back to the ring here. Crush over the Macho Man, the Guns over the Head Shrinkers, Bam Bam Bigelow over Doink, and those two matches will flip-flop for the rest of the few days here in 1993. Some nights it's the Guns over the Shrinkers, some nights it's the Shrinkers over the Guns, same with Bigelow and Doink. Bigelow over Doink here. Some nights it's Doink over Bigelow. Lex Luger pins Ludwig Borga once again with the bionic forearm. The Steiners defeating Tag Team Champion Quebecers again on a DQ. Listen to this one. Brett the Hitman Hart defeats Heartbreak Kid Shawn Michaels in a steel cage match. Despite the outside interference from Diesel, Bret Hart managed to escape over the top as Shawn Michaels had his feet caught within the cage bars. Bret Hart narrowly escaping the cage first over the Heartbreak Kid, initially scheduled to be Bret Hart and Jerry the King Lawler in the cage here. We get Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels instead, and I ain't mad at him. And listen to a few of the matches over in Pittsburgh. Here, December 27th, we see the 1-2-3 kid over Johnny Polo. Diesel defeating Bob Backlund. No, thank you. IRS managing to get a win over Marty Jannetty. And in the main event, listen to this. Lex Luger and Tatanka defeat the team of Ludwig Borga and Yokozuna after Luger pins Borga. Match went nearly 25 minutes. 25 minutes of Lex Luger, Tatanka, Ludwig Borga, and a guest Yokozuna. You'd have to imagine 25 minutes on the match. That doesn't sound too pretty, but it is different. As we look to see what the B team, or Loop B, was doing the last few days of the year, listen to this one. This may sound familiar. The very first ever ladder match between Razor Ramon and Shawn Michaels takes place in Toledo, Ohio at the Seagate Center in front of, get this, 850 people. That's right, guys. Reportedly, 850 people in attendance. I just can't seem to believe that number. As the Intercontinental Champion Razor Ramon defeats Shawn Michaels in their very first ladder match. We move on to Canton, Ohio. December 28th in front of 3,400 fans. It's men on a mission over the Red and Black Knights. Sad to say, I saw that match here in my town as well. Jeff Jarrett defeating the 1-2-3 kid. Bob Backlund over Iron Mike Sharp. Marty Jannetty over the Brooklyn Brawler. Tatanka pinning Adam Baum and IC champ Razor Ramon defeating IRS Plus in the main event. Some nights, it's the Undertaker over Adam Bomb. On nights where Tatanka's wrestling Bomb, it's the Undertaker over Yokozuna on disqualification when Yoko isn't working the A shows. So look at the, the B team here, guys. Bob Backlund over Mike Sharp. Jarrett having to work guys like Virgil. Men on a mission over the Red and Black Knight. Basically, the Brooklyn Brawler once again and Barry Horowitz under masks. And you wonder why they call these the B shows. Let's fast forward to December 30th at Johnstown, Pennsylvania. The War Memorial Intercontinental Champion Razor Ramon defeating IRS. Well, what's new about that? It's reportedly Razor Ramon over IRS here in Johnstown, Pennsylvania in a ladder match. Can you imagine that one? IRS trying to take bumps off of a ladder? I don't know about that. Plus Tatanka 
beating Adam Bomb on a countout. You, really, Adam Bomb couldn't do a job here in Johnstown? Got family in the town? No, if he had family in town, he'd definitely do the job. That's right, pal. And last but not least, as far as house shows go, Williamsport, Pennsylvania. December 31st, the very final night here in 1993 for the WWF in front of a 2,500 sellout crowd. And Williamsport saw Bret Hart defeat IRS. I wrote, what an end to the year. Bret Hart over IRS. December 31st there in Williamsport. And with that as a main event, I have to question, drawing 2,500 fans, if that Toledo number of 850 for the Sean and Razor ladder match is actually accurate. And as always, I always like to go back through the TV tapings and look at little hidden gems, if you will, that may or may not have ever made air. And we'll run through some of those really quick now. We'll go all the way back to Utica, New York, December 1st tapings, Lex Luger pinning Jacques Rougeau. We said, I saw that match. It was on Superstars. You're right. It did air in the first week of Superstars in 1994. But get this, this match here, the match between Jacques Rougeau, the Quebecers, and Lex Luger, this was actually taped to air on the first week of January 94 Superstars, but was actually retaped at the upcoming December 15th show in Augusta, Maine. So this match was so bad that they had to retape it again at a later TV taping here between Jacques of the Quebecers and Lex Luger. Also taped here on December 1st, it'll actually air on All-American December 19th. A fun six-man tag is Bam Bam Bigelow and the Head Shrinkers over the team of the 1-2-3 Kid and the Smoking Guns, plus as seen on the Bret Hitman Hart video release, as well as the Shawn Michaels versus Bret Hart video release, we see Bret Hart defeating Shawn Michaels in a steel cage yet again. As both men attempted to escape over the top rope, it was Shawn Michaels once again getting his leg entangled inside that pesky steel cage, those big blue bars, Bret Hart managing to escape once again. And you, you got to wonder, how does Shawn make this same mistake over and over? Man, he's he just got his leg caught in the bars a couple days ago, how does he do it again? Well, I wondered the same thing when I saw Sean and Razor compete in what may have been my favorite live match ever, Shawn Michaels versus Razor Ramon, in one of their practice ladder matches heading into WrestleMania 10. Well, the finish, well, actually, most of the match was almost a duplicate of the pay-per-view, but I asked myself at WrestleMania 10 when Sean got hooked in the ropes during the finish, I said, wait a minute, that's exactly... What happened when I went and watched this match? What are the odds of it happening again? But all jokes aside, this match is out there. It's Bret Hart over Shawn Michaels in a steel cage. You guys can go check it out on the Bret Hitman Hart video. Also, Shawn Michaels versus Bret Hart. That video release as well as we move on to the WWF in Poughkeepsie, the Mid-Hudson Civic Center, December 13th. As part of the Monday Night Raw tapings, it's Randy Savage battling Crush to a double disqualification, as well as airing, as I mentioned already, for All-American, December 26th, this is where Lundra Blaze pins Heidi Lee Morgan to win the WWF Women's Championship. More tapings, December 14th, Lowell, Massachusetts. WWF Superstars taping sees more of Randy Savage battling Crush this time to a double countout. Phil Apollo getting a win over Richie Rich. Intercontinental Champion Razor Ramon beats Ludwig Borga on a reverse decision in just 10 minutes. Ludwig originally won the match and the Intercontinental title seven minutes into the match following a clothesline off the top rope, but referee Earl Hebner noticed after the pinfall that Ramon's foot was on the bottom rope during the cover, so the contest was ruled to continue. Ludwig Borga then scored a second pinfall after Earl Hebner was knocked out and Shawn Michaels came to ringside, hit Razor over the back with the fake 
the bogus Intercontinental title belt as the champion attempted the Razor's Edge. So Razor going for the Razor's Edge. Sean nails him with the Intercontinental title belt. And Borga again scores a pinfall here and named the new Intercontinental champion. Imagine that that had happened. And yes, this finish does sound familiar if you're thinking Rumble 94 with Razor and IRS. But Earl Hebner raises Borga's hand. Ludwig Borga, believe it or not, guys, is the new Intercontinental Champion, or is he? Referee Joey Morella then comes to ringside and tells Earl Hebner what happened, with Hebner then changing the call. Borga then being forced to return to the ring, but he was knocked out of the ring to the floor by Razor Ramon, and the match ends there as Razor Ramon retains the Intercontinental title after interference from Shawn Michaels. This match is also out there as part of the home video inside the WWF. Also part of this taping, Brett and Owen Hart team up with a win over Samu and Fatu, the head shrinkers. Don't get too excited. No clean finish here. A schmoz, as Bret Hart would call it, as the hitman and the rocket defeat the head shrinkers, but only on a disqualification after Afa is caught nailing Owen in the back with his kendo stick. So a schmoz there. But the Hart brothers do get a win as we move on. Closing out the house shows, closing out the TV results. Wrestling challenge taping. Augusta, Maine, December 15th. Remember I mentioned Lex Luger versus Jacques Rougeau being so bad they had to tape it again? Well, here it is. This time Lex Luger will pin Jacques Rougeau, the Quebecers, with the running forearm, scoring the win. That will air the first week of 1994 here in the WWF. We will not be covering that. Also, at this taping, Howard Finkel, we already talked about this just a little bit earlier, Howard Finkel getting to conduct some interviews, including interviews with Crush and Mr. Fuji, as well as Ludwig Borga. Those will air as Mania exclusives. Another Mania exclusive taped here on December 15th, airing in January of 94, Owen Hart pinning the model Rick Martelsa. Owen starting to pick up a little steam here, scoring wins that he probably wouldn't have gotten before. Owen Hart pinning the model Rick Martel. Mike Moraldo picking up a victory here over Dan Dubiel, two of the longtime enhancement talents of 1993. Mike Moraldo, the future ace darling. Plus, as part of this taping, Doink the Clown over Bam Bam Bigelow, WWF Intercontinental Champion Razor Ramon pins Crush, believe it or not, in just a little over seven minutes. That match also out there as part of the bloopers, bleeps, and body slams video, as well as the self-titled Razor Ramon Coliseum video. So anybody ever having a hankering to see Razor Ramon pin Crush, now you know where to check it out. And in the main event, as part of these TV tapings, it's WWF Champion Yokozuna defeating Bret the Hitman Hart inside the steel cage. 18 and a half minutes, Yoko escaping through the door just before Bret Hart touched the floor by escaping over the top. What caused Yoko to get out before the Hitman, you might ask? Fuji had thrown salt into Bret Hart's eyes temporarily blinding Bret Hart as he was climbing over the cage. So by the time Bret reached the floor, Yokozuna had managed to escape just moments before the hitman. This also out there and available as part of the Inside the WWF home video. And that wraps up all of the house shows in 1993 in the World Wrestling Federation as we move on to Gone in December, a.k.a. Yes! Only one name to announce here. But man, it's a big one. DeMelt says that Bobby Heenan's official departure from the WWF came on the December 6th edition of Monday Night Raw, and he'll be starting with the WCW, according to several sources, in January. Bobby Heenan, over the past year or two, 
had taken his already strong reputation as a color commentator to new levels with his work on Raw and some of the recent pay-per-view events. I have to agree there. So think about this in just a month's time. WCW will not only have Mean Gene Okerlund, but Jesse the Body Ventura and Bobby the Brain Heenan on their broadcast team all at the same time. All pivotal players in the Hulkamania era here in the WWF. The Body, the Brain, and Mean Gene. All in WCW by the beginning of 1993. Demeltz also states that Bobby apparently had a money figure given to him and then taken back which was largely along with the directive of wanting him to move to Connecticut, it spelled the end of the nine-plus-year relationship between the brain and Titan Sports. The loss of Bobby Heenan is one of the first major signs to the general public that from a business standpoint, things in the WWF have never been shakier. And Heenan's following of Mean Gene to WCW will, for the first time in a long time, create the public perception that people are actually leaving the WWF for WCW. And it may even give some people the idea that somehow WCW is turning things around, even though DeMelt says there is really no evidence of that happening. It appears with the absence of Bobby Heenan that the WWF will apparently use Gorilla Monsoon in the color commentary role on Wrestling Challenge alongside Jim Ross. It's also stated that it is uncertain at this time who will fill the role of Bobby the Brain Heenan on Monday Night Raw moving forward, we'll have to see as the show goes on. But Bobby Heenan, I have a lot more to say about him, but we're going to get to the December 6th episode of Raw before I say my piece on Bobby the Brain Heenan. So for now, only one man gone in December, but man, what a major hit to the company. We've lost so many names over this year, but as of late, Jerry the King Lawler and Bobby Heenan, the two heel commentators to get all the heel stuff over on TV. Both of them gone from the company within a matter of just a few weeks of one another. Plus, we've lost the likes of Shawn Michaels for a brief period of time, Matt Bourne gone, Mr. Perfect walks away. Lots going on here. And business just not so great for the World Wrestling Federation as we close out the year. But coming into the company, albeit briefly, include the likes of a fellow by the name of the Big Boss Man. You might remember at the beginning of 1993, we saw the Big Boss Man here in the company, but he had already given notice was wanting to finish up with the company, even though he was still under contract, the boss man was wanting to step away. According to Jim Cornette, and this just came out in the last year or so, but according to Jim Cornette on his podcast, Ray Trailer, aka Big Boss Man, Big Bubba, had called Cornette and told him his idea of wanting to quit the World Wrestling Federation for fear of the upcoming steroid indictment and the potential steroid trial that we now know will take place in 1994. Ray Trailer was afraid that it would make his Policeman character look bad. The big boss man being involved in a company that's being indicted for distributing steroids. Now, first, I have to go back to what was Ray Trailer doing when he was the heel boss man? Cuffing people up, beating the crap out. Now, he didn't take bribes, but he did just about everything else as a heel under that prison guard gimmick. But here in 1993, he was not looking forward to wrestling for a company that was allegedly distributing steroids. Cornette said he went on to tell Bubba, now Bubba, I think you should sit there and collect those paychecks. Get out there and wrestle, buddy. I mean, like, if I were you, I wouldn't quit. But Bubba being Bubba, uh, the big boss man said, no, nah, I, I just can't do it. And he, uh, he quits the WWF. He's gone for most of the year. Other than popping in for the USWA and Smoky Mountain Wrestling, the big boss man hasn't been seen on WWF TV since the end of February. 
but he does come back here in December, as I already mentioned as part of the house shows, to referee a match between Bret the Hitman Hart and Double J Jeff Jarrett. And I have to think, had we got Bret Hart versus Jerry Lawler as originally expected with Big Boss Man as referee, that might have been even more fun. A confrontation between the Boss Man and the King. And while scheduled for a few other arenas, again, I can only confirm that the Boss Man appeared on the December 4th Anaheim show. So the Boss Man in the WWF on December 4th, and by December 13th, he was pinning Ravishing Rick Rude in WCW as part of his debut as the Boss. So within a nine-day span, the Big Boss Man goes from the WWF house shows to WCW TV tapings. And we touched a little bit on this a few weeks ago as part of the November news, but headed into the WWF, and you'll see this in the upcoming vignettes here in December of 93. Coming in are the likes of a fellow by the name of Quang the Ninja, billed as being from where else but the Orient. Quang the Ninja headed into the WWF as well as a guy by the name of Thurman Sparky Plug. Bob Holly, start your engines! Should have been Sparky Thurman Plug, STP. I see what Vince was going for there, though. Bob Holly coming into the WWF. We'll see some Thurman Plug vignettes here. Sparky Clark, as my uncle once called him. I don't know why, but it made me and my cousin laugh for months. So headed in, Quang, the former TNT and the future Savio Vega, and then, of course, Thurman Sparky Plug, the future Hardcore Holly. We've already talked about her twice now, but let's bring her up again. Medusa heading to the WWF. Alundra Blaze will make her WWF debut here, December of 1993, and become the new women's champion of the World Wrestling Federation. December tryouts. There were none. It's a light month. Remember, third of the month, the guys were sent home on vacation. No tryouts here in December, just in time for the holidays. So we move over to the USWA versus WWF crossover feud. For those who were paying attention a few weeks ago, I noted that Vince pulled all of the WWF wrestlers from the USWA, effective immediately early in November. So Randy Savage stripped of the unified title. Crush, who had won the Southern title, stripped of that belt as well. Return to Jeff Jarrett. Then Jeff Jarrett loses that title to Buddy Landell so that he can beat Jerry the King Lawler in the finals of a battle royal to become the new unified champion. The world champion of the USWA is Jeff Jarrett after Vince McMahon pulls Crush and the Macho Man from the USWA. And just like that, the USWA versus WWF feud is no more. Unless you consider Jeff Jarrett a WWF wrestler because here in December, Jerry the King Lawler, who's only working Memphis now, Pins Double J Jeff Jarrett in over 26 minutes of action to win the USWA Unified title, and that was to get the belt off of Jarrett, who is now working full-time with the WWF, while poor Jerry Lawler stuck down there in Memphis in the USWA for the time being. And in that match, Jarrett played the total heel and got the pin using the ropes, but referee Frank Morrell restarted the match, and Lawler picked up the quick win to win the Unified title. Lawler needs something to do since he can't work for the WWF right now, and Double J, Jeff Jarrett, made his way to the big times. And that's all for WWF News, so it must be time for our final Virgil of the Week. Yes, it's sad to say, but it is true. You heard me right. It is our final Virgil of the Week, and it's been a fun time listening to Virgil promos. And I've mentioned this in the past. Growing up, I never really paid attention to the Virgil promos. I didn't realize how awful or, or really good they were, depending on how you want to look at them. But as time went on, we saw Lonely Virgil, 
He starts cutting these insane promos online and in shoot interviews. His Twitter account's hilarious. So you go back and you start realizing, wow, these Virgil promos are, are, are damn near awful, but they're so bad, they are so good. And we've heard him chew out everyone from Ted DiBiase to Kamala, Papa Shango. Hey, Virgil was born on Friday the 13th. He's not afraid of no voodoo guy. We heard from Virgil heading into SummerSlam 92 as he got ready to take on Nails. He had words for Sid Justice, who broke his nose. I think we even heard Virgil imply that he's as good as Bret Hart at one point. Hey, if Bret Hart can win the title, why not? Virgil can do it too. And my very favorite Virgil soundbite of all, he's closing his promo. He has no idea what to say. So we get this. Guess what? Me. I'm telling you guys, I'm going to make that a shirt. So if you go back to the October 93 edition of The Grenade, we heard from Curly Bill of the West Texas Rednecks, one of Virgil's many alter egos. Well, another of Virgil's alter egos was a fellow by the name of Vince, a play on Vince McMahon. Remember Virgil when he came in, real name Mike Jones. They named him Virgil after Virgil Runnels, a.k.a. Dusty Rhodes, who was the booker for Jim Crockett at the very same time in 1987. So they mocked Dusty Rhodes by naming the Million Dollar Man's bodyguard Virgil. Well, WCW gets back at Vince McMahon by bringing Virgil in as part of the NWO and giving him the name Vincent, or as Mean Gene liked to call them, just Vince. So we've certainly heard from Virgil. We've even heard from Curly Bill. Well, now let's hear it for Vincent, or is it Vince? We are back here on WCW Saturday night. A lot of things happening for this young man. Come on in, Vincent from the NWO Hollywood. All of a sudden, uh, we have seen you more active than I think I've ever seen you before. And you are one of the senior members of the NWO. Uh, you're correct with that. I'm one of the senior members. I mean, members. it was Hogan, Hall, Nash, and then you and DiBiase. Right. And DiBiase isn't here right now, so I move up a step. Tell me what you're doing. I, I noticed uh, this past Thursday on Thunder, you are involved in the tag team tournament to establish the WCW Tag Team Champions. you got a team in there of Horace and Brian Adams. Right. The black and white have to be represented, right? You know that Hall and Nash, though, have uh, kind of downplayed this tag team competition. As, uh, as a matter of fact, they say they would rather not see it. They have to see it. The black and white have to be represented. So Horace and big Brian Adams have to represent the black and white express. You're also involved this past Thursday night in a six-man tag. Are we going to see a little bit more of you in the ring now, Vincent? Definitely. The six-man, we got together with myself, Scott Norton, Big Stevie Ray. Okay, Flair tried to come out with the horsemen and try to punk us. Ain't no one going to punk the black and white. All right, No Vincent. one. Well, now, please don't get hot at me. And uh, good luck to you in that tag team tournament. Apparently, this guy uh, exercising some managerial skills. Yeah. Vincent, our guest Jump on Saturday night. Jump all over the horsemen. Stay tuned. Woo. We're going to be back right after this. Don't go away. Vincent moves up a notch in his mind here in the NWO because Ted DiBiase is not here right now. Then he talks about being a manager as well as a wrestler at this point, and nobody punks out. Vincent or the NWO black and white. Really good stuff there. Mean Gene Ogren leading the promo, always having fun in his interviews with Vincent, Virgil, Shane, even at one point. Remember that? Curly Bill, Mike Jones, Soul Train Jones. Call him what you want. You guys might be saying, that can't be it. There's got to be more. Don't end this thing now. Well, guys, I got news for you. An extra special treat, because not only is there one Vincent promo this week, but there's two. It's like double doinks. Is it all an illusion? No, this is real. Here it is. Vincent promo number two. 
it won't let you down. Is it Vincent? Is it Vinny? Or is it just plain Vince? What do you just prefer? Plain Vince, man. Vince. Right, Vince, right. Vince. The name does ring a bell. Vince. Yeah, sure. Okay. Something is brewing right now. I see a storm on the horizon between you and Stevie Ray. Apparently, Stevie Ray doesn't buy into this fact that Hollywood Hogan has left you in charge of a lot of the details. Okay, Stevie Ray, man, his mind is about that long, okay? Hollywood put me in charge, Are all you right? saying that Stevie Ray can't stay focused? Stay focused, man. He sees from here to you, Not all right? Far. Right, right, okay? Hollywood says, Vincent, I want you to be my eyes and back of my head. That's my job. That's what I'm going to do, okay? Stevie Ray cannot take this. He has to accept it, man. What about okay. this limousine now? Did, did Hollywood Hogan actually Hollywood, send a, a limousine for you? Hollywood sent two limos, all right? He sent one long stretch for me, and he sent a short limo for Big Mouth Stevie Ray and the other members okay. of the NWO Black and White. And you're probably asking yourself, why did I get choked, huh? I, okay. I got choked because Stevie Ray is too militant, too crazy, okay? I took a slapjack out of the bag. That's why he choked me. He shouldn't choke me because I wouldn't get the job done. Something he couldn't do. Are you and this little punk disco come like he want to choke somebody. I should smack him across his face, man. What's wrong with him? I, I think you're taking some of the credit, too, for the efforts of Horace and Brian Adams in the WCW Tag Team Tournament. You're really gloating in that victory. I mean, uh, Brian did an excellent job. Great job. Horace did an excellent job. But sometimes you just need a little bit more help. And Hogan put... Bam! And I was there to help. Hogan put you in charge of all of this. Definitely put me in charge. Hollywood, what's up, baby? What's up? Thank you, Vince. You like that, Vince? Ain't got a nice ring to it, Stay though. tuned. Yes, we've got more Saturday night when we come back. Vince. All right, Mean Gene and Virgil having a little fun there with the name Vincent. Vinny, or, or is it Vince? Just plain Vince sounds good enough to Virgil. Uh, mean Gene says, that name seems to ring a bell. But the promo itself, I wrote, oof, awful. Uh, this is during the era where the NWO black and white were falling apart here. Basically, it was just the jobbers of the NWO left as part of the black and white, all the rest of them part of the wolf pack. And it's like some of these guys in the black and white don't realize that they're the B team. And they're fighting over who the leader of the black and white is here in the NWO. And Virgil having recent issues with the likes of Stevie Ray specifically, but also Disco Inferno and some others. And as we close out that promo, Mean Gene says, do you like that name? Do you like that name, Vince? And of course, Virgil responds, got a nice ring to it, huh? So these guys having a little fun at the expense of Vince McMahon. Maybe that's why Virgil can't make it to the WWE Hall of Fame. But okay, guys, I can't do Virgil wrong like this all year long. Questionable to downright bad promos here from good old Virg. So let's end things on a good note, shall we? A good Virgil promo. I promised it last week that we were going to end things on a good note. We're going to close things with a good Virgil promo. So here it comes. Stand back. Get ready for one final Virgil of the week. One final good promo from Old Virg. Million dollar man, always behind money. There's a woman and there's definitely a shyster. I'm talking about IRS. I'm talking about Scary Sherry. 
Well, I got my man right here, Hot Rod, and we don't care about nothing because we never had no money anyway. But we love, we love to fight. Tell him what I mean, Hot I've Rod. been born broke. He been born. We don't owe the IRS nothing. They don't want to see us. They got to give us money. When people come along to roll us, we hope they got spare change. Bring down Scary Sherry. Her and them nubs on them legs. You could sandpaper a car. IRS, the Bob Fitz, Jim and the wrestling. Them skinny little legs. Bring them down, boy. Get set to sweat. Well, I didn't say why it was good. Started off questionable because Virgil was talking, but then the big save by the one and only Hot Rod Rowdy Roddy Piper. I promised a good Virgil promo. I didn't say why it was good. But that wraps things up here for Virgil of the Week. We've done it all year long in 1993 in the WWF. It's been a hell of a fun time, and who can forget the new catchphrase that's been sweeping the nation once again. What was it again, Verge? Guess what? Me. Ah, that's right. Now, I won't say that I'm retiring the Virgil of the Week, but it will go on an indefinite hiatus. Maybe we'll pick it back up here again in the future as part of the Wrestling Memory Grenade, but it started all the way back at the beginning of 1993 in the WWF, and it ends here with the December show, as we heard from the likes of Virgil, Curly, Bill, and now Vincent or Vince. It's been an absolute fun time. I know a lot of you guys have sent me messages looking forward to what I'm going to find next from old Virgil. And of course, last week, who could forget, if you guys missed that, go back to the Survivor Series watch-along episode, the Virgil of the Week. Two hilarious promos from Virgil in the NWC over in Las Vegas back in 1995. Virgil fighting the Ku Klux Klan, and at one point even promising to use a gun on Klan member The Thug. And always good stuff from Virgil there, but it's time to move on. It's the next three weeks of WWF TV here in 1993, and it all starts off with WWF Superstars. November 27th, the Saturday after Survivor Series, taped back November 10th, Del High, New York, at the Feral Hall. And right out of the gate, Vince McMahon announces that Rio Rogers, after only one week as co-host, has had an accident. He fell off his horse, it would seem, so it's time to bring in the brand new co-host, oh yes, sweet Stan Lane. Stan Lane of the Fabulous Ones, the Midnight Express, and the Heavenly Bodies, now color commentator here on WWF Superstars alongside Vince McMahon. And growing up, I absolutely loved Stan Lane and the Midnight Express, but here in the commentary role, I never really adjusted to Stan's very DJ-type voice. There was really no feeling behind a lot of the stuff he said. He just said things like a DJ, basically. And I'm not knocking DJs out there. I've done it myself. But it's just the voice Stan was doing very cliche for the character of Stan Lane. Oh, yes, here we go with WWF Superstars. I'm Stan Lane, yeah. And as Vince and Stan talk about the fallout from the pay-per-view, Stan even mentions how, well, we've heard of blackface, but he talks about men on a mission wearing whiteface. Of course, they were two members of the Doink team at the Survivor Series. Oh, Stan. As we head to the ring, the Steiner brothers taking on the team of Steve Smith and Laverne McGill. Typical fun Steiner squash here with the Doomsday Bulldog getting the win for the Steiner Brothers, 2 minutes and 12 seconds. We also learn post-match that Pierre has indeed recovered from his concussion, and he'll be back in action with the Tag Team Champion Quebecers imminently. As we move on to Update and Gorilla Monsoon, he opens things up talking about the upcoming Women's Championship title tournament, which will culminate before the end of this month. But then Gorilla makes a phone call to the Rocket Owen Hart. Owen has some things to say about the fallout from the Survivor Series. 
You know the thing that stuck out in my mind most of all in the Survivor Series and a lot of murmurings here in the World Wrestling Federation? The family feud match. There seemed to be a little dissension in the ranks of the Hart family. We're going to try to clear that all up here this week on Update because waiting on the phone right now, we've got on hold the brother of Brett the Hitman Hart, the Rocket Owen Hart. Let's see what he has to say. Hello, Rocket. Well, hello, Gorilla. And, and uh, before we get started here, I'd just like to say I'd, I'd rather if you could... Uh... Please don't refer to me as the brother of Brett the Hitman Hart. Uh, why, why? I don't understand that. Aren't you his brother? Yes, I am. Oh. And, uh, I'd rather you just call me Owen Hart, the Rocket, because I can speak for myself, and I'm just a little tired of always being under the shadow of Brett the Hitman Hart, you know. You know, at Survivor Series, it seemed to me, you know, calling the event at ringside, there was a little bit of dissension in the ranks, Owen. Uh, it was like uh, sort of uh, only a few pancakes left at the breakfast table, and who was going to get them? Well, I'm just a little fed up. That's just another example of, of what happens. And with me and Brett being in the ring together, it kind of came out there. And uh, all I want is an opportunity to do my own, uh, show my own ability in the ring. And I believe that I can prove I'm equally as good as Brett. Uh, just give me a chance. You know, Owen, I'm, I'm sure it just wasn't myself, but everybody that thought about the family feud match thought that there would be a whole lot more out of you guys being brothers, you know, being that close that, well, it just wasn't there. Well, I kind of expect a little more leadership out of Brett. And, uh, you know, he was kind of the leader of the group, and, and he didn't really lead us. He kind of led us astray, and, and really it wasn't my fault. Uh, I don't want to be pointing fingers, but... But you are pointing fingers. Well, you got to point at uh, who's ever the leader of the team, and, and in my opinion, that was Brett. You're saying that the hitman didn't carry his share of the load? Well, I don't think he did. You don't think he did? Well, Owen, uh, I appreciate uh, your calling, and I appreciate talking with you, and I wish you continued success here in the World Wrestling Federation, and say hello to Stu for me, please. Thank you very much, Gorilla. Thank you, Owen. And Gorilla being told by Owen not to refer to Owen Hart as Brett's brother, but rather Owen himself. It makes sense. I get it, Owen. Owen admitting himself he's always felt like he's been in the shadow of Bret Hart, and he didn't feel that his big brother Bret carried his part at the Survivor Series. More on that in the upcoming weeks. As we go back to the ring, Intercontinental Champion Razor Ramon taking on Mike Corey. We see a super fallaway slam off the middle rope, or as Razor would call it, the super sack of shit. All right. And a back superplex before the Razor's Edge. Gets the easy win, 2 minutes and 32 seconds. And on commentary, Stan Lane playing semi-straight, semi-heel, uh, somewhere in the middle. Kind of a tweener announcer here, and just very bland commentary thus far from Stan Lane. As we go off to face-to-face -face on the Peacock, we hear from Bret Hart and Harvey Whippleman and Adam Bomb. Bret Hart has some upcoming matches with Adam Bomb on some of the house shows. Let's listen to these two. Now let's go face-to-face, -face, ladies and gentlemen. We have the incomparable Bret the Hitman Hart, along with... Harvey Whippleman, the manager of Adam Bomb. And Harvey, I understand that you, uh, you requested this time, and we're certainly always happy to talk to you, Harv. I will, I will mention that. But uh, what's on your mind here this week? Well, Jim Ross, I greatly appreciate you allowing me to have this time so I could confront Brett the Hitman Hart. Brett, ever since I've taken over the management of the great force, Adam Bomb, I've done everything within my power to take him all the way to the top in the World Wrestling Federation. And the only way to get all the way to the top is to beat all the top contenders, all the top athletes, and all the top wrestlers. And you, Bret Hart, are the only one that's been ducking away from Adam Bomb. You're the only one that's scared. Oh, this Harvey, that's not true, and you know it, Harv. Well, Adam Bomb has got something to say to Bret Hart right now, and we'll see if it's true or not. Bret Hart, 
I openly challenge you to one-on-one -on -one because when you step in the ring with Adam Bomb, annihilation is inevitable. What do you say, Brett, huh? You want a match? Big boy, you want a match? You Come got a match. You want to earn a reputation? You got your chance. Harvey Whippleman, you little shrimp, why don't you shut <laughs> your face, for starters. Now, I know you're undefeated, Adam Bomb, and I know that you think, oh, you're going to build some kind of a reputation by using me as a platform, that you're going to wipe me out, and that you're going to go further on. Well, I got news for you. It's not going to happen. You're talking about technical wrestling. They call me the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. And Adam Bomb, I got news for you. You are just going to be that. A big, giant bomb. All right, and Harvey Whippleman claiming that Bret Hart is the only man ducking Adam Bomb. Bret's response is to point out that I'm technical. Technical wrestler, Bret Hart. Also, uh, maybe a little bit of a shoot there, referring to Adam Bomb as a bomb, or maybe even a dud. As we move on more face-to-face, -face, Madison Square Garden tonight, November 27th, Yokozuna, WWF champion, taking on The Undertaker in a casket match. Let's hear from both sides. On your screen right now, James E. Cornette, Mr. Fuji, and of course the WWF champion Yokozuna. And gentlemen, this casket match tonight, the first ever casket match in the garden. Jim Cornette, do you realize the drastic measures it takes to get a man in this casket? Oh, yeah, yeah, I do real well, Jim Ross. And so does Yokozuna, most importantly, because Mr. Fuji has been training him and training him and training him. And all the people in New York said, you've never seen a casket match. Let me just lay the rules down. There are no rules. The only thing you have to do to win the match, the only way the match can be won, is to take your opponent, stuff him in the casket at ringside, and close the lid. Now, how do you do that? Well, you have to get your opponent in a certain state. What could we call that state? Helplessness? Insensibility? Unconsciousness? Comatose? I don't know. But it's a bad one, regardless of what the description. And right there tonight, at Madison Square Garden, those hallowed halls are going to see something the likes of which they've never seen before. A 600-pound monster and a walking dead man, face to face. And the loser gets stuffed in a box and carted off. <laughs> and it's going to be The Undertaker. Oh, go ahead and laugh. But the clock on my embalming room wall is ticking down. Tonight's the night. Oh, yes, the casket match, and everything is in order. The casket's ready. I'm ready. And most importantly, the Undertaker's ready. Yokozuna, when I'm finished battering your Japanese pulp carcass, the ground... The cement at Madison Square Garden will erupt and up through the darkness come the gargoyles to take you and that casket to eternal darkness. All right, and the title not on the line here in Madison Square Garden tonight, but what a sight to see Yokozuna and The Undertaker in a casket match. And that won't be the last time we hear about those two in a casket match before this episode's over. As we head back to the ring, it is Adam Baum accompanied to the ring by Harvey Whippleman, taking on the future supernova, Mike Bucci. But we also get our very first guest ring announcer. This is where it starts, guys. November 27, 1993, the WWF brings in their first guest ring announcer from the crowd, one J.B. Yetter, a young boy who reads the cue cards, referring to Mike Bucci as weighing in at 221 libs. That's LBS, pounds. But Yetter just shrugs it off and continues on like a pro. He introduces Harvey Whipplesman in a 229-pound 
Adam Baum, I think he meant 292 there, but not bad for the youngster in his first outing. During the match between Baum and Bucci, Vince McMahon on commentary puts over that Adam Baum was never this aggressive until he got with Harvey Whippleman. They're trying to build Baum up. Unfortunately, that really doesn't resonate with what we see in the ring. It's more of the same from Adam Baum, the gourd buster dropping Bucci across the top rope, and then the Adam Smasher powerbomb picks up the easy win, 1 minute and 51 seconds. And as the match ended, well, I had to do it, guys. It's rabbit hole time. I fell down that rabbit hole. What are these guest ring announcers doing today? I thought to myself, so boop, up comes Google, and off to the races I go. There can't be that many JB Yetters out there. And I don't know if I'm the only one that does this. I'm watching old TV shows. I start Googling all the characters. What are they doing today? I'm watching old episodes of American Gladiators. What are the contestants doing today? Well, here we go. Guest ring announcer JB Yetter. I said, wonder what these guys are doing today, these guest ring announcers. Let's, let's Google. Let's see if any of them ever got into the business or, or even still are fans of the wrestling business. And uh, right away, I had to dig this up. And unfortunately, I was kind of saddened that I did. Uh, J.B. Yetter, John B. Yetter, it would appear, passed away on May 19th, 2020 at the age of 38 in Norwich, New York. Now, you might ask, how do you know for a fact this is the same J.B. Yetter? Well, I'm thinking there aren't too many J.B. Yetters out there. Also, Norwich, very close to Delhi here, 38 years old in 2020, would pretty much put him at the age he appears to be here in 1993, Delhi only an hour away from Norwich, and the age would have put this young man at 11 or 12 at the time of this taping, which he appears to be. So sadly, our very first guest ring announcer here, J.B. Yetter, passed away very young age, not sure what it was, and I'm not going to put any labels on this because I have no idea, but it is right at the initial beginning of the COVID era, so I'm hoping that wasn't the situation. And as I did this digging up, I also found out that Mr. Yetter's father, age 70, just passed away last month here in 2022. So I, I simply wrote here, bummer. I didn't expect something so morbid walking into this. And yikes, what a way to start this whole new idea out of looking up some of these old guest ring announcers. But um, yeah, it was just interesting to see where these people are now. And um, sad to say, in this case, J.B. Yetter has passed away. And I feel like that old soundbite of Casey Kasem where he goes nuts, where he comes out of a story about a, a kid's dog passing away, and then he goes into an up-tempo song and he flips out on the producer's in the studio, and that's kind of how I feel right here, but I did it to myself. I just discussed what, what, what happened to uh, J.B. Yetter, and now we're moving into a Raymond Rougeau interview with Santa Claus, of all people. Raymond Rougeau up on the stage with several kids sitting by him as he brings in old St. Nick Santa Claus, hands out WWF merchandise to the kids, a smoking guns hat, no thank you. Santa, who's supposed to know it all, actually even gets some of the kids' ages wrong. He asks one kid, how old are you, two or three? The kid's six. Santa, come on, man. Thankfully, I'm assuming this segment was edited for time because we only see him actually hand out two of the gifts to two of the kids out of the half dozen or so up on the stage. But before we end the segment, this had to be a rib on Raymond Rougeau. Ray had to sit on Santa's lap, but he gets a gift in return. It's an Undertaker teddy bear. I wrote, what a payoff. The entire segment, absolutely pointless other than to get over the current WWF merchandise as Santa tosses more out to the crowd, I wrote, what do you follow up a segment like this with? Why, a merchandise catalog commercial. Of course, makes sense. One big giant advertisement here, heading into the holidays. Thank you, WWF. As we go back to the ring, Shawn Michaels, the heartbreak kid, the, the self-professed Intercontinental Champion, still wearing his Intercontinental title to ringside here to take on Dan Dubiel. Shawn even gets on the mic before the match 
proclaiming himself the undisputed intercontinental champion. However, this particular match is non-title. I wrote LOL. I did get a kick out of that from HBK. No Diesel yet here on TV back with Shawn Michaels in the bodyguard role. But we do see Shawn with the nasty flying forearm, the super kick, and he's still chewing gum as he delivers the pile driver. And Shawn makes the cover by pie-facing Dan Dubiel. Gets the win one minute and 52 seconds. Blatantly obvious at this point, I wrote, that IRS is a stepping stone to a feud between Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon. Almost an afterthought with both Shawn and Razor holding intercontinental titles. You know it's going to come to a head at some point. And IRS simply a pawn until we get there. But the action continues with the new Doink the Clown. That's Ray Apollo taking on Sid Garrison. But what's that with Doink coming out in a little red wagon? Why, that, that's another doink, but Jack Tunney said there can't be more than one doink. Well, apparently that's not doink, but rather, once again, Tiger Jackson being repackaged yet again this year. The midget Tiger Jackson is now Dink the Clown. Yes, here it starts, guys. And early on, Doink and Dink have fun with Sid Garrison. Sid even trips over a Dink schoolboy early on. Doink, Doink then picks up Dink and tosses him on top of Garrison. Doink makes the quick, fast three count. And Dink apparently pins Sid Garrison. And all of this happens before the bell even sounds. I wrote, fuck this. However, Vince McMahon seems to love it, laughing uncontrollably. Ha ha! All throughout the match. Doink with a back suplex. Sid even runs into a nasty elbow. And it's the whoopee cushion off the top rope. Gets the win in just 59 seconds. I wrote, what the fuck did I just watch? I can't believe I'm saying this after watching Matt Bourne portray Doink all year, but fuck you, Doink. We got a minute of nonsense before the bell and another minute of nearly nothing during the match. But the show goes on with Double J vignette number six. He's with R.P. Gossett. You guys remember Ronnie P. Gossett, any Memphis fans out there? The late, great Ronnie P. Gossett. As they finally get inside the building. Yes, they're inside Buddy Lee Attractions in Buddy Lee's office. Attempting to see Buddy Lee. Jeff Jarrett says he has a meeting scheduled, but it it doesn't appear to be true. Instead, Jarrett gets CEO Tony Conway, who ushers Jarrett and Gossett, or in this case, R.P. Lee, out of the building. And my favorite part of this segment is the closing segment as Jarrett and Gossett get back on the elevator to leave. We go back into the Buddy Lee offices and we see there on the camera monitor, Jeff Jarrett in the elevator looking up at the camera. Spelling his name one more time, that's J-E-double-F-J-A-double-R-E-double-T, and yes, his teeth even shine, ding, in the elevator. Really good stuff there to close out that segment with old Double J. A couple more promos from Jeff Jarrett before he makes his in-ring debut here in December, but back to the ring. It is Crush, accompanied by Master Fuji, brah, taking on Paul Jones. Jesus Christ, change your name. This is not the old Georgia promoter Paul Jones. This is not... Certainly not. The Paul Jones, the wrestler turned manager Paul Jones from Crockett and Florida fame. No, this is just a job guy named Paul Jones, and Crush disposes of him with the old cranium crunch. The head vice gets the win just one minute and 55 seconds, and it's off to -to face-to-face once again on the Peacock. Jacques Rougeau and Johnny Polo talk about the tag team titles being defended against the Steiner brothers. And of course, we know Pierre is back. It was announced earlier, but up until this point, Johnny Polo was filling in for Pierre on some of the shows, teaming with Jacques against the Steiners, defending the tag team titles. And that's where we're at right here with this promo. We're going to listen to Johnny Polo talking about being forced to defend Pierre's half of the tag team championship. 
Now, ladies and gentlemen, uh, as you know, the situation involving the Quebecers has certainly changed as of late. I'd like to bring in right now, if I may, Jacques, of course, along with uh, his manager, Johnny Polo. And gentlemen, it is obvious that Pierre is not with you as a result of his uh, injury suffered at the hands recently on Monday Night yeah, Raw of Lex unbelievable. Luger. unbelievable. Lex Luger hits him, has a loaded metal elbow, hits him with it, knocks him out, incapacitates the man, can't make it to Survivor Series, and now we got to defend our belts against the stupid Steiner brothers? I mean, all that time, we were more than willing to give him a tag shot. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What do you mean you were more than willing? We just you guys have been procrastinating about that for weeks. We had prior commitments, Jim Ross, and now that now that we're going to give him one, well, one half of the team is hurt. I mean, what are we supposed to do, Jim Ross? Huh? So are you saying that Jacques uh, is Pierre going to be able to compete or not? Well, you know, Johnny's always a little bit too upset. Johnny, you got to learn how to relax because things always fall into place. Now, let me tell you something, all you beautiful spectators out there. What about the Toronto Blue Jays? Weren't they something? I'm going to tell you. We had a great time. Now, let me tell you something, Jim Ross. Mario Lemure for the Pitt Pittsburgh Penguins. He got hurt, too. But he'll be back. And Mario, how about that, uh, what's his name, Gretzky there for Los Angeles? Wayne Gretzky. Wayne Gretzky. He got hurt. He's a Canadian. And he came back. He's having the best year of his life. Hey, everybody's entitled to a little fall once in a while. Especially... When you have a lot of prejudice, you know, they couldn't beat us. Nobody. We took all the best teams in the World Wrestling Federation. Nobody could beat us. So what they do, they put Pierre in a single against a guy with a steel plate. Now, you tell me that's not City Hall, Jim Ross. Well, be that as it may, the, the issue at hand, gentlemen, is that the Steiner brothers deserve the rematch. They've got the rematch, and a lot of people say they're Don't going to Don't you worry, Jim. Pierre's sitting at home. He's working out. Everything's looking good, and he'll be back. And that day will come when the Steiners and the smoking guns will both be sorry. <laughs> and some really good heel stuff there from Johnny Polo. They offered the Steiners title shots before, but now they take it. Sure, they take it now with Pierre out. Classic heel stuff there from Johnny Polo and Jacques Rougeau. However, by the time this promo airs, Pierre is back. In fact, he returns tonight. What a great cue. Madison Square Garden, New York City, November 27th. Pierre will return to team with Jacques Rougeau to defend the titles against the Steiners, but also on the card, another title match. Intercontinental champion Razor Ramon defends his title against Diesel. Razor Ramon, the Intercontinental champion, Diesel, the challenger. And Diesel, I see you working that right hand there. You know that this one could be in the ring, out of the ring. I asked you this last week. Will you do whatever it takes to win this title? Undoubtedly, JR. Hey, Madison Square Garden, tonight, IC Championship there, Razor. What do you got, big boy? What are you made of, huh? Who are you getting ready? I am. Let me tell you something. I'm going to beat you into a pulp. I'm going to see what you're made of. I'm going to test you inside. And when it's all said and done, Ramon... I'm walking away with the belt. Yeah, I got news for you, big man. The bad guy, he undefeated in the garden. Chico, you want to be somebody, man? Hey, it's trite, but it's true. You make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. What a place big to man, win the belt. You want this? You want to fight, Chico? Yeah, hey, well, what? no problem, man. Esta noche... We're going to fight because there's nothing they like better in New York than a good fight. And the bad guy, he's going to... Tonight, 8 o'clock in the garden. Don't you miss it. 
All right, for those who are looking for full results of this MSG card from November 27th, you can go back a few episodes. Episode number 52, I do believe it was, where we covered all the news and notes from November, and that includes house show results, including this Madison Square Garden card. Spoiler alert, Razor retains the title. And as we close out the show, generic WWF music plays us out as we see a recap of this week's episode of TV. And that concludes the first episode of Stan Lane in the color commentary role. I loved him. I said it before, I'll say it again. Love Stan Lane in the Midnight Express with Bobby Eaton. Love Stan Lane in the Heavenly Bodies with Tom Pritchard. Love that he has a job here. Though I wish he would have replaced Jimmy Del Rey in the Heavenly Bodies. But it's clear Vince needed announcers. Lawler gone. Bobby Heenan on the way out. They've gotten rid of Joe Fowler. Stan Lane certainly had the look. He had a hell of a voice, but pretty bland in general on his delivery here, I thought. But at the end of the day, it still beats Rio Rogers, if you will, baby. Dusty Rhodes, Rio was not. As we move on to WWF Mania for November 27th, exclusively here on Mania, this is where we get the announcement from WWF President Jack Tunney that there will only be one doink moving forward in the World Wrestling Federation. Only one doink. And we continue on Wrestling Challenge November 28th, Tape November 9th, Carbondale, Pennsylvania, at the high school gym. And this would be the gym that the WWF wrestlers trashed, left fecal material on the ground, broken whiskey bottles. The school principal complained of the nonsense, which it is absolutely nonsense. But look at this for a second. Wrestling Challenge, a WWF TV taping, taking place at a high school gym. Think about where we are here by the end of 1993. As we head to the ring, a rare appearance, as Vince would typically call it, of The Undertaker here on TV with Paul Bear in his corner taking on Gus Kanarakis as we see old school or maybe new school here in 93, The Undertaker rope walk before the jumping clothesline and the tombstone ends it in just two minutes for poor Gus Kantarakis as we move off to Special Report with Lord Alfred Hayes. And it's more of the same that we saw with Gorilla in Update. First, Alfred talks about the upcoming women's title tournament and now it's the heel Lord Alfred Hayes' turn to talk to Owen Hart about the recent dissension between Owen and the rest of the Hart family. Hello, everyone. This coming Monday night in Memphis, Tennessee, there will be an important women's wrestling tournament, which will be continued the following Monday to determine the eventual winner in this World Wrestling Federation Women's Champion category. We will keep you completely up to date on its progress. Now, this past week of the WWF Survivor Series, it became patently apparent that something was radically wrong with the fraternal detente between Owen and Bret Hart. Standing by, I have the illustrious Owen Hart on the telephone. Hello, Owen. Well, thank you very much, Alfred, for referring to me as Owen Hart. Uh, I appreciate uh, having my own identity and not being uh, Brett the Hitman Hart's little brother all the time. Well, absolutely, Owen. You know, I was probably amongst many, many others who realized the splendor in which you portrayed yourself in the ring. You have such great talent. And I can't help remarking, but I thought that Brett was rather selfish in his attitude in the ring. Well, he likes to kind of hog the uh, limelight and the spotlight, and uh, that's fine, but I want a chance to show my abilities, and uh, uh, it kind of came out when they put me and Brett in the ring together. Uh, he wants to show his excellence of execution, and I want to show that uh, I'm equally as excellent. 
Well, I think your actions, Owen, were commendable. In fact, you showed a lot of restraint there. Personally, I would have boiled over with infuriation at a brother who did what he did to you. Well, believe me, Alfred, sometimes I boil over and, and, and sometimes I just can't take it any longer. And uh, an example is that Survivor Series. I was frustrated to the threshold, to the limit. And uh, maybe if my family wasn't there, maybe if it wasn't uh, millions of people watching, it might have been a different story. But uh, I had to have composure and uh, keep calm. Uh, you know, rockets aren't uh, hysterical. They're very cool and calm, and that's yes. what I was. Well, that was very commendable of you, Owen. I have to go now. Bye-bye, old chap. Thank you. Well, well. It would appear that Owen is finally fed up with Brett, who has always basked in Fane's limelight, while his shining talents have been doused by psychophants with influence. So I can't blame him for becoming uh, impatient and frustrated. However, you will have another chance to see what occurred of the Survivor Series with the encore presentation, which will be on pay-per-view television this Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern and also 8 p.m. Pacific. For Special Report, I am Lord Alfred Hayes. Alfred Hayes feeling that, I, I feel that Brett acted selfishly. At the Survivor Series, Lord Alfred also commends Owen for showing restraint over what Brett did at the pay-per-view before Owen gets off the phone and then Hayes closes the segment by saying he does not blame Owen Hart for becoming frustrated with the hitman. Oh, I'm going to miss you, Alfred Hayes, but it won't take long because I know you're all over 1987 in the World Wrestling Federation. And back to the ring, it is Bob Backlund back in action here in the WWF, taking on the Brooklyn Brawler. And we can thank Mr. Perfect for Backlund back on the road because he was initially brought back full-time to replace Mr. Perfect's spot on the card. The Brooklyn Brawler attacks Backlund here, but that doesn't last too long. Bob with a quick comeback, and the Brawler powders out of the ring. Back inside, Backlund places Brawler seated onto the top rope and slaps him. Nice spot there from the babyface O.P. Taylor, as Bobby Heenan would call him, before cradling Brawler into a Backlund bridge. Bobby Backlund picking up that win, 2 minutes and 48 seconds. And they usually use a match like this to put over a big angle but they actually talk up Bob Backlund and how good he is for his age here. So it looks like Backlund is back for another shot, another run here in the World Wrestling Federation. Would you believe, watching Bob Backlund here in December of 93, that he would eventually, one day, once again, become the WWF champion? And around this time, next year. At this point in the show, it's a PSA from the Hitman. Bret Hart says, don't drink and drive, or you'll be sorry. And I can't help but think, man, Sonny should be watching this right now. And back to the ring, it's Ludwig Borga taking on Mike Moraldo. We get the side slam and an electric chair drop off the bottom rope. What the fuck was that? Ludwig Borga scooping Moraldo up in that Road Warrior animal type spot, picking him up on his shoulders, then climbing up to the bottom rope and then falling backwards with him. It almost seemed like he was wanting to take him up higher, but then had cold feet. Borga getting the win here. Two minutes and 21 seconds. We're off to face-to-face -face with Madison Square Garden behind us. The New York market now advertising the upcoming Meadowlands show on December 12th. And one of the big matches there is the Macho Man Randy Savage. Aha! Uh -huh. Taking on Crush, brother. It's Randy Savage and Crush here on Face to Face. Randy Savage, I know. I know you can't wait for this one. No, you don't know. You don't know, but Crush, you know. 
Similar to talk with the Metal Lands, brother. Monday Night Raw was nothing compared to what I got for you. You need some excitement? Would you just check out December the 12th, brother? Because our friendship blew up in smoke. Well, that don't matter now. You want to be friends? That was cool. Yeah, now you want to be enemies, brother. You're right on target, brother, because it's a blood feud all the way. Metal Lands is going to be rocking and rolling. You understand that? Can you yeah, talk? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why don't you shut up for one second, oh, yeah. macho man? Oh, I gave you oh. an easy out. I just gave you a lacerated tongue and a good butt-kicking. <laughs> you should have stayed out of my way. You should have stayed out of my path, brother. You know what I'm all about. You want to fight me, Macho Man? Yeah, I want to fight you. You want a piece of me, Macho yeah, Man? Yeah, I want a piece of you. Because I cannot wait to get my hands on you. My, the Polynesian blood is oh. right to my veins. Just like the, the killer whale. Okay, oh, yeah. Macho Man, what? when I get you in the Netherlands, I'm going to erupt. Just like a volcano all over you. Jim Ross, you hit the nail right on the head, Macho Man. You're a legend, brother. Legend means in the past. Take a look at your future. <laughs> brother, let me tell you something right now. The Meadowlands is your last match in the World Wrestling Federation. But you did it to yourself. You got yourself to blame, you dig it? All right, guys, and we'll have a lot more from those two as this episode of The Grenade Goes On. But back to the ring is the one, two, three kid taking on Iron Mike Sharp. And Sharp early on tackles the kid. But it doesn't take long for the kid to catch fire. And a dropkick sends Sharp into the ropes, catching him into the ropes. As the kid charges, though, he runs into the boot of Iron Mike. The kid also misses a running boot into the corner and crotches himself across the top rope. So Sharp on the offense, but he winds up running into a spin kick from the kid. And the moonsault body block, or the reverse body block, over the shoulder of the kid gets the win. Two minutes and 11 seconds. On commentary, Bobby Heenan says the kid has to leave right now. Why is that, Brain? The kid has to get to the mall to tell Santa what he wants for Christmas. We continue on with the show. It's Double J Vignette number six again, once again, invading Buddy Lee attractions with Ronnie P. Gossett or R.P. Lee here in the vignette. And back to the ring, the tax man, IRS, taking on Dan Dubiel. And Dubiel with a near fall on a sunset flip, so IRS has to teach him a lesson with the abdominal stretch, of course. The write-off gets the win one minute and 48 seconds. Jim Ross on commentary says, the computer says IRS wins another one. I don't know what computer he was referring to. Is this a throwback to the old Michael Wall Street York Foundation deal? The world may never know. As we go to the ring, we saw Doink introduce Dink yesterday on Superstars. Just brought him out in a wagon after a quick video wall promo. Well, here we get a different introduction to Dink the Clown here on Wrestling Challenge. Raymond Rougeau standing by in the ring with Doink the Clown. Ray informs Doink that Jack Tunney has ruled that there can only be one Doink moving forward here in the World Wrestling Federation. As the conversation moves on, Doink talks Bam Bam Bigelow and Luna Vachon, but says he isn't concerned with them. Christmas is just around the corner, and that's all Doink is worried about right now. Cue the music, and out comes good old Santa Claus. That's right, we saw him on Superstars. Here he is again. They're really getting use out of Santa Claus here this week. He was even at the Survivor Series to celebrate with Lex Luger, and it's Santa Claus out to the ring. And old Saint Nick wastes no time reminding Doink that he has been a bad clown in the past, but Doink's been doing a lot better recently, so Santa does have a present for Doink the Clown. How forgiving is old Saint Nick? Santa has a present for Doink in his sack. Oh, geez, Santa. Who, who is the Santa? Pat Patterson? We move on. And inside Santa's sack, out comes a midget Doink. A small version of Doink. It is Tiger Jackson now dressed as Doink the Clown. 
But Raymond Rougeau, quick to spoil the party, reminds both Doink and Santa Claus that there can only be one Doink moving forward here at the World Wrestling Federation. And that's when, bing, a light bulb goes off over the head of Doink the Clown. Not actually, though. I'm surprised Vince McMahon didn't put that in there. Doink has an idea. Why, Tiger Jackson, he, he's no Doink. He'll name him, he'll name him Dink. So apparently this midget clown comes without a name when he arrives here in the World Wrestling Federation. He's not a human being, apparently. So Doink gets to name him like a puppy. What are we fucking doing here? As Doink the Clown now has a Dink alongside him, an identical little person version of Doink now, acting as the mascot of a clown, as if the clown needs a mascot. And that's when it came to me. Wait a minute. Hold on a second. Changing the name from Doink to Dink, but looking exactly the same, it was that easy? So we could still have 14 Doinks as long as they all had different names. Why didn't Doink ever think of this? What's to stop multiple Doinks with different names if Jack Tunney will allow a Dink here? And in just a matter of 24 hours, we've now seen the debut of Dink twice, two separate ways. First, Doink just brings him out on a little red wagon on Superstars. Here on Wrestling Challenge, Dink is gifted to Doink because you can just do that, apparently. Dink, not a person, he's being given to Doink the Clown as a present and also being named by Doink. And if changing the character from Matt Bourne to Ray Apollo wasn't enough, now we get Dink and pure comedy from this new version of Doink. So, fuck me. This shit is over. I'm done with it. I'm washing my hands of Doink the Clown. It was a fun run, Matt Bourne, but this new Doink, I am out. And I am so thankful that this begins at the end of the year because there's just no fucking way I could have done this for 12 months. No way. And the show rolls on. It is the model Rick Martell taking on Bastion Booger. Battle the Heels. What a random fucking match that no doubt was created by the genius Vince McMahon. It'll be great, pal. He's, he's filled with adipose tissue. He's grotesque. He stinks. He's disgusting. And on the other side, we have a model. He sprays cologne. Yeah. Arrogant. Spray it on him. Yeah. You can just tell that Vince had visions of this match in his head before we get it here on TV. As we kick things off, the cleanly model looks disgusted and doesn't even want to filthy his hands with the gross pig bastion booger. As we get some stalling early on from the model, Booger finally attacks with cheap shots and shots to the throat and eyes of Rick Martell, but misses the old avalanche Karachi crunch in the corner, and Martell takes over with a hip toss and a drop kick on Bastion Booger, but Martell misses a second one, and Booger takes over, scooping Martell up, dancing around the ring before landing a big body slam and a leg drop for a one count on Rick Martell. And this time, the Karachi Crunch, the avalanche in the corner connects. And then Booger with a clothesline sends Martell down. And you got it, guys. It's a trip to the Batcave. And Booger drops his balls right into the face of Rick Martell. But they're right by the rope, so Martell able to escape the cover by grabbing the ring ropes there. And Rick Martell rolls outside of the ring in disgust and grabs his arrogance can, the atomizer, grabs the arrogance cologne, and begins spraying Bastion Booger, disinfecting him, if you will. I wrote awesome, but not really. Booger has no idea how to sell this, so he's sort of just standing there frozen, doesn't really know what to do, and we get a disqualification. Rick Martell using the arrogance here. Bastion Booger will beat the model Rick Martell. Match goes three minutes and 40 seconds, and somewhere, somehow, you can just hear Vince McMahon. 
Ha ha! I love it! It was great shit! And I gotta say, after Rick Martel's recent issues with Adam Baum and Harvey Whippleman, both on Superstars and later at the Survivor Series pay-per-view, this almost felt like he was walking into a babyface turn here. Another heel versus heel situation for Rick Martel. But then again, the finish would surmise the opposite, you would think. Maybe a face turn for Bastion Booger. Sadly, neither guy turns, and this entire match was likely yet just, like I said, another joke for Vince to laugh at. On one end, the model is clean and meticulous. On the other end, Bastion Booger, a grotesque endomorph filled with adipose tissue. It's great. It just writes itself, pal. My goodness, that happened, guys. The model Rick Martell versus Bastion Booger. Final match of the program, the Smoking Guns taking on Todd Mata and Reno Riggins. And early in the match, Reno Riggins slaps Billy Gunn across the face, gave him the old Will Smith right there, and tags out to Mata immediately so the Guns can't do anything to Riggins. Smart move. But Billy quickly lays out Todd Mata, then forces him to tag Reno back into the ring while Reno had his back turn, and unsuspected Reno Riggins being forced to tag back in, and Reno pays for that slap with some double-team moves from the guns, and then the new finisher is Bart Gunn picks Reno up into a powerbomb position, and Billy Gunn comes off the top rope with an elbow drop combo. The guns get the quick win, two minutes and nine seconds. We close out this episode of Challenge with one final face-to-face this week. The WWF headed to the Meadowlands on December 12th as Lex Luger will once again take on Ludwig Borga. If you were in the Nassau Coliseum on October the 29th, you saw Lex Luger defeat Ludwig Borga in what Mr. Borga considers a very controversial fashion. Lex Luger used his right forearm, the one with the steel plates in it, to knock Mr. Borga out for the count. We're going to be joined face-to-face here, ladies and gentlemen, at this time by Lex Luger and Ludwig Borga. And Lex, you've got to wear this arm pad now in this matchup in the Meadowlands. What do you think of the stipulation? Oh, it doesn't really matter, Jim Ross. I abide by the rules set forth by the World Wrestling Federation. If I don't have to wear a pad and I have to use it, I'll use it. If I have to wear a pad, that's just fine with me because I take any stipulation to get my hands on you, Mr. Borga, because like Jim Ross said, this thing has only escalated. You've stepped across that line. You've gone into a whole new realm of this thing, Mr. Borga, and it's got to be settled once and for all. And I can't think of a better place than right there in the Meadowlands. Well, it's a great arena, no doubt about it, uh, in East Rutherford, New Jersey, Mr. Borger, in case you don't know. And after what we saw this past Wednesday at the Survivor Series between you two, it's obvious. This is a war. It's a stinking arena. I mean, in a rotten apple, who else would figure out to build a place, you know, on a stinking swamp? Well, I tell you, Lex Luger, the only reason I come to this stinking place is just to beat you up. And for the elbow thing, and for you, Jim, I was never knocked out. I was never beaten. He cheated me. I was surprised. I thought he, the referee is going to come stop the match. So this time, Lex Luger, you're really going to be the next loser, and you're going to be out. All right, this appears to be a rematch headed to the Meadowlands. Apparently, Luger got the win last time using that illegal steel-plated forearm. This time, he'll have to wear a cover. I got news for you. Lex will win again. And we continue to roll along All-American for November 28th, hosted by Bobby the Brain Heenan and Vince McMahon. No green screen here this week because Vince McMahon doesn't go, quote-unquote, on the road. Nothing to speak of here outside of a Lex Luger just say no to drugs, kids, PSA. So we move on to WWF Monday Night Raw, November 29th. White Plains, New York, Westchester County Civic Center, and we are live. It's Vince McMahon and Bobby the Brain Heenan on the call. Bobby. 
immediately addresses Gorilla Monsoon trying to assault him at the Survivor Series pay-per-view, and Bobby shares some thoughts he has of the Gorilla here, the brain not very polite to Monsoon, and this will go on multiple times throughout this episode of Raw, and for good reason, as you'll find out. But we kick things off with the Steiner brothers taking on Reno Riggins and Mike Corey. Early on, it is a Scott Steiner dragon suplex, full Nelson suplex on Corey, and then a Rick Steiner liner, as Vince would say as well. Reno Riggins then tags in, but he pays for that quickly. Rick Steiner rams Reno upside down into the corner buckles. Ugh, that's got to hurt. And the Steiner screwdriver, for fuck's sakes. How Scott didn't break Reno Riggins' neck here, I have no idea. Scott then drags poor Riggins over to the corner, forces him to tag Corey back in, where we see the Tilt-A-Whirl slam and the Frankensteiner. Finally ends things three minutes and 44 seconds. And while we got a little taste of Rick Steiner here, Scott in for the majority of this one. As we move on, it's the Double J vignette number six yet again. Buddy Lee attractions, so we continue on about the show as we throw to Vince McMahon and Bobby Heenan to talk what's going on currently here in the World Wrestling Federation. We even see a fan at ringside with a sign that reads, Talk About WCW. And while we're listening to Vince McMahon and Bobby Heenan on screen, you can visibly see security taking this sign away from the gentleman. Talk about WCW. Apparently not here on Raw. Not in 1993, anyway, but pretty cool. Right on camera, you can see the fan, fan sign being removed. I wrote LOL. Good stuff there. As we head back to the ring, click time, guys. Intercontinental champion Razor Ramon taking on Diesel in a non-title match, and Diesel works the back of the bad guy early on. It honestly doesn't look all that bad, all things considered. Diesel being as green as he was in 93, and yeah, I know he was three years into the business at this point, but he'll self-admittedly tell you he didn't work a whole lot throughout those years of WCW. He was very green still by the time he got to the WWF, but looked good here and moved kind of fast for his size. And I didn't really remember that here in 1993, but Diesel looked quite all right here in this match and nails the bad guy with a side slam for a near fall before Diesel moves into the bear hug O'Doom. Ramon finally escapes the bear hug, but runs right into a giant big boot, took his face off. Did Big Daddy cool? Diesel then with snake eyes. Yeah, he rolled up snake eyes. Shout out to Vinny Vegas. Snake Eyes gets Diesel yet another near fall, and we're right back to the bear hug, which Razor manages to escape a second time. Then it's Ramon off the middle rope of the bulldog for a one count. From there, the bad guy lays in his patented spinning punch, and that's it. It's Razor's Edge time. On Diesel? Are we going to see this happen? No, Shawn Michaels is out and attacks Razor Ramon. Razor will get the win on disqualification, five minutes and 17 seconds, as Shawn Michaels blasts the Intercontinental Champion, with a super kick. And as HBK sets Razor up for a pile driver on the IC title, it's the one 2 3 kid out to make the save. The kid straight to the top rope and a crossbody dive out onto Shawn Michaels. And a jumping, spinning back kick sends HBK up over the top rope and out to the floor. It's Razor and the kid call for Diesel and Shawn Michaels to get back in the ring. Shawn and Diesel clearly back together again, and it's click everywhere, guys. Inside the ring, outside the ring, Scott Hall, Sean Waltman, Sean Michaels, Kevin Nash. Very click-heavy segment here this week. And a fun little story here. We thought we were getting Razor and Diesel, and we did for about five minutes, but really this turns into Sean Michaels and Razor escalating their upcoming feud, and the kid involved as well. And we wondered back at the Survivor Series if Diesel would realign himself with Sean Michaels. Well, it didn't take long for us to find out. Yeah, five days later, after the pay-per-view, Back together again are Shawn Michaels and Diesel. 
And we continue on with the action. It's Bam Bam Bigelow. Luna in his corner. Take it on John Crystal. As Bam Bam launches Crystal all the way across the ring with a giant beal. Bam Bam then with an Irish whip with authority causes Crystal to trip up. And he goes sliding across the ring, through the ropes, out of the ring, to the floor. I wrote, LOL, it was hilarious. Bigelow just doesn't know his own strength, or maybe he does. Just whips John Crystal so hard he can't keep balance. He falls to his knees, goes sliding across the ring, and he can't even stop himself. Out through the ropes, out to the floor. Hilarious stuff there by Bam Bam Bigelow. And back inside, a simple Enzigiri ends this one. Bam Bam Bigelow busting out that ghetto blaster again with the win in 3 minutes and 14 seconds. As we're treated, I use that term loosely, to doink and dink highlights. Dink now a part of the World Wrestling Federation with Vince McMahon once again reminding us that Jack Tunney says there can only be one doink. So yes, Santa Claus did bring doink his dink. So I guess I have Jack Tunney to thank for all of this. And here it is, guys. It is time for the Superstar of the Year Award Ceremony. Remember they said they were going to announce the Superstar of the Year at the Survivor Series pay-per-view? Well, by the time the pay-per-view rolled around, they completely forgot about it, never mentioned it. So here we are on Monday Night Raw, setting it up here for TV. Vince McMahon in the ring, he's going to announce who the fans voted on the 900 line or the 800 line, who the Superstar of 1993 is. Vince McMahon standing next to the big trophy with the name right there on it. You can see the name of the winner right there on it, guys. But Vince, he wants to break tradition. Since the votes were so close this year, he wants to bring out the runner-up before he announces the winner, and out comes the runner-up, Lex Luger. After that push, I wrote, wow. It seems they've slightly given up on Luger, just a, just a tad at this point, when they're not going to push him as the superstar of the year. Lex Luger out as the runner-up. Bobby Heenan on commentary, meanwhile, thinks that there's only one guy left that can be Superstar of the Year. It's got to be Bobby the Brain Heenan. From there, Lex thanks the fans who voted for him, and he's honored to be in the same category as the winner. Lex and all the wrestlers have respect for said winner here. As Bobby Heenan stands up at the commentary table waiting for his name to be called, Heenan begins to celebrate, but Lex instead introduces Brett the Hitman Hart. I wrote, wow. Bobby Heenan suggests the entire Hart family must have voted for Brett. Well, besides Owen, Lex then raises the hand of the hitman in the ring and they shake hands before Luger leaves. As Vince briefly speaks to Brett, the hitman Hart, Brett wants to thank his fans for always believing in him, no matter what. And he promises that in 1994, he'll do everything in his power to win back the WWF title. Brett then dedicates the award to his friends and family that have stuck by him through thick and thin. Bret Hart Superstar of the Year that has to weigh heavily on Owen Hart. And speaking of Owen Hart, it's almost like they planned this, we get highlights from Survivor Series of the situation between Bret Hart and Owen Hart after the match against Sean and his Knights. Of course, Owen, the only Hart family member eliminated from the match. He took exception to the Hearts celebrating the match with Owen still being in the back. And speaking of Owen, we just saw Bret in the ring. Now it's Owen's turn. The Rocket Owen Hart out to ringside to take on Chris Duffy. And Owen! wearing Brett the Hitman Hart shades to the ring, even gives them away to a fan like his brother Brett. Vince notices a smattering of booing, as he mentions on commentary. Very interesting there, Vince. Duffy attacks early on, but it's Owen Hart right back with a spinning heel kick, and we want Brett chance break out within the crowd. As Owen Hart nails an enzigiri, a pescado out to the floor, back inside it's the missile dropkick, and Brett Hart's finisher, the sharpshooter. Wow. Very interesting, Owen Hart using the sharpshooter to pick up the submission win. Two minutes, 
and 46 seconds on commentary, Bobby Heenan claims that Owen Hart has given an interview to no one. I guess Gorilla and Alfred Hayes don't count then, Bobby, because I swear we heard from The Rocket both on Superstars and Challenge. But Bobby says he will try to interview Owen Hart right here, right now, ringside, about what took place at the Survivor Series and Bret Hart winning the award. As Owen Hart leaves ringside, Bobby Heenan tries to stop him, interview Owen about Bret Hart becoming Superstar of the Year and the issues at the pay-per-view, but Owen simply walks away. But we'll be hearing more from The Rocket in the weeks to come here. So the action in the ring continues on with Ludwig Borga, taking on Scott Taylor, future Scotty Too Hotty. And I found this comical. During the match, Bobby Heenan says on commentary that he'd love nothing more than to take the steel plate out of Lex Luger's forearm, waffle Gorilla Monsoon with it, and then screw it back into Luger's forearm. It was so random, and I wrote LOL. Good stuff there from Bobby Heenan. As for the match, Borga with the typical stiff attack on Scott Taylor to start clotheslines, poor Taylor's head off, tosses him in the air and down into a gut punch before the torture rack gets the submission win. Borga refusing to initially drop Scott Taylor before being threatened with the disqualification. So Borga will pick up the win here with the torture rack, two minutes and 25 seconds. From there, we go to a split screen interview. On one side, it's Vince and Bobby on commentary. On the other side, it's Razor, Ramon, and the one, two, three kid. It appears that the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels, has issued a challenge to the one, two, three kid. Vince wants to know if the kid will accept the challenge. Razor cuts the kid off and says, the one, two, three kid, man, he can beat anyone. He beat the bad guy, so he knows the kid can beat Shawn Michaels. The one, two, three kid said he is coming for HBK, and he will give it 100%. Next week, right here on Raw, it'll be the one, two, three kid taking on Shawn Michaels. Can't wait for that one. And before we close out Raw, Vince McMahon warns Bobby Hina the comments he continues to make towards Gorilla Monsoon, perhaps suggesting that Bobby might live to regret those comments he's been making towards Gorilla throughout this entire broadcast here. As the Gorilla could show up at any time, Bobby Heenan replies by saying he would slap the banana taste out of Gorilla Monsoon's mouth if he comes near him again like he did at the Survivor Series. Bobby warns Gorilla if he shows up next week, he will peel him like a banana and knock him out. Good stuff there by Bobby the Brain Heenan daring Gorilla Monsoon to show up next week here on Raw. And the show continues on now in December, December 4th, WWF Superstars, tape November 10th, Delhi, New York. It's Santa Vince, Vince McMahon wearing a Santa hat this week, Stan Lane also back for his second week out as color commentator. Lane even holds up a large stocking and a small stocking. When Vince asks him, what are those stockings for? Stan Lane replies, well, the big one's for Doink and the little one for Dink. Ugh. Et tu, Lanicus. And off to the ring, it's Ludwig Borga taking on John Paul. And it's attack and maul by Ludwig Borga, the delayed suplex. Vince McMahon uses Stanley's knowledge of wrestling, asking him what is the purpose of using the delay before landing the suplex. Lane exclaims, all of the blood flows to the head to receive the maximum concussion. Well put, Stan Lane. The action goes on. Borga misses a stinger splash in the corner, and John Paul comes back with a drop kick and a clothesline but he can't drop Ludwig Borga. Paul goes off the top rope with a flying crossbody, a beautiful crossbody block by John Paul, but it's caught by Ludwig Borga down into a power slam and the torture rack gets the win here in just two minutes and 15 seconds as we move on to update and the family feud recap. Yet again, this week we see highlights from the Survivor Series before we hear promos from both Owen and Brett sharing their sides of the story. Let's get their insights. 
It was a family feud, but it wasn't supposed to be the family against me. Well, I'm sick and tired of carrying the load of this family and never getting any recognition. It's always you, Brett. Well, I'm not carrying the load anymore. I carried the load at the Survivor Series. I had two down, and I was going for number three. When you, Brett, poor Brett, he fell off the ring apron, and the whole family, they flocked to you, Brett, and they left me all alone. Well, I got pinned, and I got eliminated. I was out of the Survivor Series. And then you have a victory celebration after you won the Survivor Series match, and you left me all alone. You didn't care to think about inviting me back. Well, that's okay. I know where I stand with the family. Obviously, you don't care about me. But you, Brett, you've been a problem for a long time for me. And you stay out of my way because I'm looking out for number one. Oh, and this is your brother Brett talking, and we got to talk. You know, you got to put this behind you. I know you got a bad temper. You're upset because you got the, you know, you were the only one that lost in this thing. That, that is not important. Think about it. You know, the, the whole family, we worked great in there's a family. And everyone's proud of each other, and we're especially proud of you. You did great. And you can't let this thing get to you like that. I know you got a bad temper, but you got to put this thing behind you. The rest of the family's all up in arms about this thing. Owen, listen to me. This is your brother. I'm going to ask you one thing. You sit down with me, mom, dad, and we're going to settle this thing. Get it all worked out. Everything's got to be fine. This is family. All right, guys, and on one side, Owen Hart warning Brett to stay out of my way. Woo! And on the other side, Brett Hart, he just wants to talk things out, Owen. Hey, Owen, let's talk things out. This is a family situation, says Bret Hart. He wants to make amends with his younger brother, Owen. We'll have to see how that plays out as the month continues on. As we go back to the ring, it's Bob Backlund taking on Iron Mike Sharp. I wrote, almost nothing happens in this match. Then Sharp does a drop down out of nowhere, and Bob Backlund turns it over into a cradle. Bob Backlund with the very quick and almost painless win, one minute and 38 seconds. And it's back to the Survivor Series as we're now treated to highlights of the Yokozuna and Undertaker segment of the main event match. Taker no-selling the bonsai drop and the steel steps. Yokozuna may be showing a little fear towards the Undertaker. And back to the ring, the head shrinkers with Afa in their corner, taking on the team of Greg Hatfield and Todd Mata. Mata tossed high into the sky early on, Lee Scott style. But then Hatfield in with an Irish whip on Fatu, but then he runs into the thrust kick. Fatu awaiting him in the corner before the Fatu diving splash ends this one two minutes and 46 seconds, and it's more face-to-face over on the Peacock Network. Intercontinental champion Razor, Ramon, and Diesel both talk about the return of Shawn Michaels and Diesel's chance at potentially becoming the next Intercontinental champion. And with that thought in mind, let's go now to our guest at this time. We're joined by Mr. Michael's bodyguard, Diesel. I'm assuming bodyguard. And, of course, the reigning intercontinental champion, uh, Razor Ramon. Now, uh, Razor, I've talked to Shawn Michaels on Radio WWF a couple of times. He says that he is still the intercontinental champion and that you can't be proud of the way you won the belt. How do you respond to Mr. Michaels' uh, allegations? Well, you know, anybody who ever seen the boy toy wrestle, you got to admit it. He's good. You know, but Michaels, you had your chance, man. You blew it. I go through 19 of the WWF's best in a battle royal, and then I beat the model. Hey, you're right. I never beat you. Chico, you want a shot? You work it out. And Big Man, you want a shot? Come get it. 
You know something, Razor? What? Things are getting back to normal around here, aren't they? Great. The heartbreak kid back in the house. Good. And you know what? What? I hope I don't have the belt when he comes after you because when I get through with you, I'm going to be the IC champ. Huh. You never beat him. You ain't the real champ. The kid is. Hey, things are really getting interesting. Well, things are getting. Have you been talking to Shawn Michaels in the last few weeks? Is there a, is there a game plan here? Uh, I'm, I'm sure an intelligent man such as yourself, you wouldn't recognize Michaels as a champion. Well, you know something, Jr. Speaking of intelligence, if we had a game plan, you think I'd tell you with Razor in the same room? Come on. Probably not. Well, you, uh, well, Razor, the situation then is you are prepared to wrestle Shawn Michaels or Diesel or anyone well, what's else. What's the deal, Mr. Ross? Is Michaels a champion or not? Absolutely, he's not, he's right? not. Absolutely not. There's only one belt. The bad guy is holding it. Michaels, you're good, man. Nobody argue about that. But Chico, I got <laughs> your gold, I guess. <laughs> so now, uh, Diesel, with the situation with Michaels being back in the WWF, are you going to resume being his bodyguard? Or are you going to continue your own wrestling career? What's the story there? Both. Oh, really? Man of Maybe he don't need such a bodyguard now, Mr. Roscoe's. After all, he's kind of a loser. He might not have the belt right now. It's just a matter of time. All right, gentlemen, I thank you very we'll much. Uh, we'll be back, ladies and gentlemen. We'll More see. WWF superstars still to come. Shawn Michaels, later in this hour, it could be most interesting. Conflicting promo there from Big Daddy Cool. First, he says he's going to beat Razor Ramon for the IC title, but then later on in the promo, also said that Shawn Michaels is the real champion. Which is it, Diesel? Is Razor the champ or is Shawn the champ? I think we all know the real answer to that one as we move on. More face-to-face -face New York and the Meadowlands. December 12th, it's more from the Macho Man Randy Savage taking on Crush. Macho Man Randy Savage, it's time for war in the Meadowlands. Meadowlands gonna burn down. Are you like that, Crush? Look me in the eye, brother. No friends here. Isn't that the way you wanted it? Fuji, hey, what do you want to do, brother? Bring it down to the Meadowlands just a little while away. Yeah, because it's not gonna be the same again. Normal Mr. Nice Guy here, huh? Kicking it into high gear. All the way down that aisle, brother. Don't expect no headlocks and, uh, head scissors, brother. I'm gonna... Whop you, brother, and I'm gonna take you all the way down like you need to do it. I'm gonna slap you in the face. That's what I didn't teach you, yeah. Macho style. The your problem's always been, Macho Man. You talk too much, Holly. <laughs> Just over a week away. That means you got eight days, brother, to get out of town, to face reality and wake up and realize that you will not be a match for Crush. You attack me from behind yes. on Monday Night Raw, bro. Right. Just like you stabbed me in the back right. as my friend. <laughs> hey, I'm you a cheap shot artist, brother. I'm going to cheap shot you all I want. In fact, that's not the only cheap shot I got for you. I'm going to give you another cheap shot in the middle, Lance. Eight days away. You're right about that. How do you like that, Fuji? Call me a cheap shot artist. I'll do it to you every time, brother. You understand that? I don't care, Fuji. You call him Massive Fuji. Speaking of Massive Fujis, he showed me how I can take you out. Which is call him garbage, Fuji. I can take you out, macho man. Yeah, what is it? Hey, garbage, Fuji! What? Yeah, garbage, brother! And I'll tell you in the Meadowlands, eight days away, brother, you're gonna see something you real special. I got a slap for you, too, Fuji, you understand that? Ladies and gentlemen, oh, hell's gonna break loose at the Meadowlands. Well, hell will break loose in the Meadowlands. We're well, eight days away. Do Don't something you right here, brother! Talk to me! All right, and the Meadowlands being billed as the main event is Macho Man and Crush, not the return match between Luger and Borga. Take your pick, I suppose, but I love Randy Savage. Garbage Fuji, that's your new name, Garbage Fuji. 
just keep shouting it. We'll hear that more later in this episode of the show, but oh my gosh, garbage Fuji. I love it. Good stuff from the macho man. Back to the ring. It's the one, two, three kid taking on Glenn Ruth, the future thrasher of the headbangers. We haven't seen him in a while. So we head to the ring. It's guest ring announcer, young, small Chris Walsh rocking an extra large Lex Luger shirt. Comes down to his ankles. Really, guys, you couldn't get him any size smaller. As the action gets going, it's the one, two, three kid with the spinning heel kick, a drop kick in the corner, and a top rope over the shoulder moonsault body block. Gets the win just two minutes and six seconds. And it's time for double J vignette number seven. And this time, another familiar face from USWA history past. We've seen Tony Falk. We've seen Miss Texas. We've seen Ronnie P. Gossett. This time, it's referee Frank Morell acting as a lackey of sorts here for Double J. And I believe Jeff refers to him as Step here. And I'm not really sure who that's in reference to. Most of these characters Jeff has created for these vignettes, the names have tie-ins to other famous country music singers. I'm not really sure the Step deal here. But Jeff Jarrett and Frank Morell wind up in front of the Legends Hall of Fame gift shop where they run into a sax player by the name of Waldo, the country sax. And poor Waldo says he never got his break. Well, Jeff Jarrett, he's a hometown boy. He never got his break either. So he's going to use the WWF and come back, and he's going to get his break. As we play out, Waldo, the country sax, plays us into commercial. And I had to go, this guy had to be something, right? Like Waldo. So I Googled Waldo country sax. This is what I came up with. There was a saxophone player, is currently still, I guess, a saxophone player that was named Sir Waldo Weathers. I wrote, how many black saxophone players named Waldo can there be? Could this be him? It kind of looks like he did when Waldo Weathers, that is, played for James Brown earlier on in his career. Waldo looked a little more hip and cool by the 1990s. I don't know if this is him. Seems odd he would be in front of a gift shop, but this guy was very talented, I must say. So could it have been Sir Waldo Weathers? And they just kind of had a tie-in and he said, yeah, I'll come do this gimmick or Maybe he was being paid to play out in front of the gift shop that day. I don't really know what the story is. It's very interesting. Waldo, the country sax, makes his uh, one and only appearance here in the World Wrestling Federation. Back to the ring. It's Diesel taking on Frank Kanyak as Frank runs right into the big boot. The gut wrench jackknife from Diesel. And then he teases the big knockout punch, but thinks the wiser, delivers a side slam on Kanyak, gets the win in just a minute and nine seconds as The Undertaker reminds us to don't drink and drive, or sooner or later, you'll wind up meeting The Undertaker. And more action with men on a mission. Oscar in their corner, taking on Steve Smith and Gus Kanarakis. Good to see Gus is still around after his match with The Undertaker last week. Mabel with a big backdrop on the big Steve Smith and a double drop kick from men on a mission early on. But then Unky Mo tags in with some generic offense on Gus before the men on a mission nail a double avalanche in the corner on poor Canaracas, and then Moe, quote-unquote, bulldogs Mabel. Moe coming off the top rope with a bulldog on Mabel, causing Mabel to splash Canaracas. Men on a mission with a quick win here this week, two minutes and one second, as we see our very first Royal Rumble promo of the season. On January 22nd, get ready to rumble. 30 WWF superstar wrestlers bang heads in the over-the-top rope Royal Rumble. Two minutes, another bursts onto the scene. Victory here is determined by strength, stamina, and the luck of the draw. The WWF Royal Rumble, live in your living room, January 22nd on pay-per-view. 
It's December 4th, and we're already hyping up the big pay-per-view. I love it. And it's time once again, well, I guess for the first time, at least here in an arena, it's time for the first and last episode of Rio Rogers. Yeah, he's back. And Rio's Roundup. Now, it's funny. On Superstars last week, Vince McMahon said Rio had gotten injured. He had fallen off a horse, and he was gone from the WWF. But this was already taped and in the can. So we get an episode of Rio Rogers, Bruce Pritchard, as once again is Rio Rogers and Rio's Roundup, and he introduces his first and only guest, Shawn Michaels, making his way out. And of course, we know we had another edition of Rio's Roundup, supposedly, with HBK back on the Survivor Series showdown when they visited the house of, quote-unquote, Stu and Helen Hart. And even though Vince had proclaimed Rio Rogers to be gone last week, it seems as though he learns that apparently Rio Rogers is back. He's returned. And right away... He doesn't let us down. We get the Dustyisms right out of the gate. It's time to get funky like a monkey, if you will. As we hear Christopher Walken's favorite instrument, the cowbell, playing us in to the segment, it's Rio Rogers' guest, the undisputed intercontinental champion, if you will, the hot break kid, Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels out to the interview wearing a nice-looking suit and a velvet bag. And inside that bag, Shawn Michaels pulls out his Intercontinental Championship as he talks about being stripped of the title for not making contractual obligations. Shawn Michaels says he's got news for WWF President Jack Tunney. He's got news for the WWF. Shawn Michaels doesn't answer to any man. Shawn Michaels doesn't follow any rules. This is kind of a shoot, right? This is like late 90s Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels comes and goes as he pleases. But I got to tell you something. Right now, here in the WWF, there is an imposter. An imposter among us that says he is the champion. You know, I've heard about that. You know, this concerns me. It concerns me because we got some guy who looks like he combed his hair with a pork chop, lived his whole life in the gutter, and now, mystically, out of thin air, he straps a gold belt around his waist and has the nerve to call himself the Intercontinental Champion. And I'm afraid that this may cause an epidemic. I mean, any Joe <laughs> or Jose walking the street could walk out and get himself a gold belt and call himself the Intercontinental Champion. Well, I'm going to say this nice and slow so everyone can understand, especially you, Chico. There is only one undisputed World Wrestling Federation Intercontinental Champion and it is the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels. Whoa, wait a minute. Wait just a minute. Toy toy. I've been hearing you tell the whole world that you are the undisputed intercontinental champ. Wrong. If it's up to the bad guy, 
I take the gold the easy way. I beat you one, two, three. Just like my whole life, I gotta do it the hard way, man. I gotta go through 19 of the best, fighting my way from the bottom to the very, very top. And Chico, I like it here. So say hello to the real intercontinental champ. Oh, look at that! And now this Joe or Jose from the street can just call himself the intercontinental champion. I love that line. Any Joe or Jose from the street can just call themselves intercontinental champion. As the conversation comes to a close, Shawn Michaels blows a giant bubble in the face of Razor Ramon, but Ramon, in classic fashion, takes his toothpick and pops the bubble and then flicks the toothpick into the face of Rio Rogers as Rogers has to hold Shawn Michaels back. Shawn Michaels, not a fan of Razor Ramon, claiming, in, in Shawn's mind, to be IC champion, and certainly not a fan of Razor coming out here and humiliating the heartbreak hit, popping his bubble with this toothpick, if there was any doubt, it's 100% clear that we're heading into a Razor Ramon, Shawn Michaels IC title feud, and I was beyond cool with that. I was marking out like crazy. Plus, that means IRS is an afterthought to some degree already before he even gets his big blow-off at the Royal Rumble. As for Rio Rogers, baby, this marks the final appearance of the Rio Rogers character here in the World Wrestling Federation, so I guess it's time to say adios if you will. And before we move on, I got to touch on this excellent feuds beginning here at the end of 1993, starting to shape up here. And they'll actually culminate all the way at WrestleMania, but they're starting right here, right after Survivor Series. We already see the beginnings of Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon, as well as Brett and Owen Hart, the two five-star matches that will be taking place at the upcoming WrestleMania 10 pay-per-view. We've got one more match on this edition of Superstars. It's Marty Jannetty taking on Reno Riggins, and Reno now rocking a perm in his hair. Even Stan Lane points it out. Always trying something new with that hair is Reno Riggins. Always trying to stand out. First, it was the Bulldog Dreadlocks. Now a perm this week by Reno Riggins. But it doesn't help him win the match. Janetti with the rocker dropper and a flying fist drop. Gets the very quick win. One minute and 34 seconds. Even Vince McMahon on commentary expressed his surprise at how quickly this match went. And we've got a couple more additions of face-to-face to close out this episode of the show. First, the Peacock. It's Jim Cornette and Mr. Fuji. They talk about the return of Tatanka next week, as Tatanka will be seeking revenge on both Ludwig Borga and Yokozuna. I'd like to go face-to-face, ladies and gentlemen, with the official spokesman of the WWF champion, James E. Cornette, of course, along with Master Fuji. And, uh, gentlemen, welcome to face-to-face. Well, I know you're very busy, but thank you for yeah, spending so hurry time up. with us. Well, uh, I will. As a matter of fact, uh, next week we understand here on the program, Tatanka will be returning to action. (laughs) I talked with him earlier this week on the telephone, and he will have 
upon his return, a big, big score to settle with your Yokozuna. <laughs> well, you know what? Tatanto, the vanishing American, what he better do is he better take plenty of uh, oh. sips of firewater, drink let's, plenty let's, of false courage. Let's what? clarify one thing. What? This firewater thing is ridiculous. He do, he's a great athlete. He doesn't drink. Don't get your jowls in an uproar, Ross. You're from Oklahoma. You know about those Indians. All they do is sit around on the reservation. Knocking a couple back, trying to get into trouble, making those cheap beads and jewelry that they sell to all those gullible tourists that drive down the road past the reservation. Well, your perception is certainly wrong, I can yeah, tell you that. All right, you don't want to hear my answer about Tatanta, which is going to be, he's going to be kicked back in the hospital, back out on a reservation where he belongs, instead of being in the World Wrestling Federation as soon as he comes back if he messes with us. Have you got anything else to talk to us about? Yes, sir, I certainly do. Oh, I also understand that The Undertaker has his sights set on... Uh, Yokozuna, oh. and uh, Paul Bear says that that WWF championship belt would look very, very good around The Undertaker. Paul Bear says. Paul Bear, you listen to Paul Bear now. Is that uh, what you do? From time to time You listen speak, to Paul yes. Bear, a guy that looks like he just get kicked off the set of the remake of The Addams Family. You listen to him. Let me explain something. I know a lot of things that would look good around The Undertaker and around Paul Bear. For example, large, heavy, big quantities of black cloth wrapped all around them where you couldn't see the ugly on their faces. That would look real good. Um, let's see, uh, a box with a label on it that says, ship to China. That would look real good around them. But let me explain something about The Undertaker. He strikes fear in the hearts of a lot of normal men. He strikes fear in the hearts of a lot of subpar wrestlers. But of course, all the wrestlers are subpar except for Yokozuna. Yes. So he doesn't scare Yokozuna because Yokozuna doesn't know the meaning of fear. Yokozuna's a monster in his own right. And if The Undertaker wants to meet Yokozuna face to face, nose to nose, toes to toes, I can assure you of one thing. Me and Mr. Fuji all will do is kick back and relax. And we'll watch The Undertaker go down six feet under where he should have been a long time ago at the hands of Yokozuna, Mr. Ross. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Thank you very much. The action will continue. All right, Cornet having some fun there at the expense of the Native American. And moving into the new year, Tatanka will be positioned into title matches against Yokozuna. But for now, we continue on with Face to Face, headed to the Meadowlands December 12th. It's the rematch. Once again, Lex Luger scheduled to take on Ludwig Borga. Last time, Luger knocked him out with that steel-plated forearm. This time, Borga insisted that Lex needs to wrestle fairly, fight fair, Lex Luger, and wear the forearm pad. We're going to hear from them, too, right now. And then a massive return match. If you were in the Nassau Coliseum on October the 29th, you know that Lex Luger used his right forearm to defeat Ludwig Borga. Well, ladies and gentlemen, as we go face-to-face, -face, I must mention that in this matchup, this return match in the Meadowlands, Lex will be wearing a protective covering over his right forearm. That stipulation has been ordered. Mr. Borga, I understand after that uh, matchup in the Nassau Coliseum, you were visibly upset, and you said you didn't lose, but you did lose. No, I didn't lose. Who said I lose? I said he cheated. That's what happened. He didn't knock me out. I didn't lose. I never lost a match in my life. And that's how it is. That's how it's going to stay. So this next week, Lex Luger, I'm going to finish you once and for all and show everybody you're no hero. Well, one week from tomorrow night, Mr. Borga, you get to prove that to everyone there in the Meadowlands. Because when I walk down that aisle and step in that ring, we're face to face. And I don't care if I have to wear a forearm pad 
or two forearm pads or a three-piece suit. I just want to get my hands on you, and I want to settle this thing once and for all, Mr. Borga, because I am sick and tired of listening to you. The fans in the Meadowlands are sick and tired of listening to you, and I just can't wait to take you out just one more time, because this time, Mr. Borga, there'll be no more excuses. One week from tomorrow night, right there we'll in the Meadowlands. We'll see. All right, we're going to close out this edition of Superstars once again, much like last week, with highlights of some of the stuff that went down earlier on in this episode. As we continue on, WWF Mania for December 4th. Nothing to see here, so it's right over to Wrestling Challenge December 5th. Tape back November 9th, Carbondale, Pennsylvania, once again at the high school gym. It's Jim Ross and Bobby the Brain Heenan. In fact, it is Bobby Heenan's final episode of Wrestling Challenge as we go to the ring. Intercontinental champion Razor Ramon over Corey Student with the Razor's Edge. Just one minute and 52 seconds. And we're off once again to face-to-face the New York market. One week away, guys. The Meadowlands, December 12th. We've talked about it before. The Macho Man Randy Savage coming for revenge against Crush. But ladies and gentlemen, it will be a war, as we said. It will erupt in seven days in the Meadowlands. My guest at this time, the Macho Man Randy Savage, his opponent Crush, along with Master Fuji. And Randy, when we talked here yesterday, it seemed as if you were out of control. Just a minute, Jim Ross. Seven days away, Macho Man. I want you so bad. I got goosebumps. Macho Man, what you did to me. That's right. You never were a friend. And when I became your superior, you you could not handle it, Macho Man. So I took care of you. I took care of you. I thought I put you out of the picture completely. You should have left. You should have ran with your tail between your macho legs like a smart man would do. But no, you feel you have an obligation to the fans to come back and represent them along with yourself. Well, brother, this is going to be the start of your total destruction by Crush. You got that, Macho Man. Oh, You're nothing but a punk. Oh. And the Meadowlands, oh. I'll prove it to the whole stinking world. Oh. You're going to have to prove it to the world, brother, because I'm going to tell you, one week away at the Meadowlands, it's going to be Black Sunday. Black Sunday for you and Garbage Fuji. Do you understand that? Garbage Fuji, brother. Crush with Doc is cheap, Macho oh, Man. Right? We'll see what you're made out of in the Meadowlands. I cannot wait to get my hands Doc on you. That's, that's really, 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 really cool because oh, it's a blood feud, brother. You want to be my enemy? There's only one way to be my enemy, and that's all the way. In the Meadowlands, Black Sunday, one week away, brother. You're going to wish that you hadn't even started nothing with me. Try to be your friend. That didn't work. We'll take it to the other side now, living out of the edge. That's okay, brother. We got to stay in Hawaii called Kanakalau, bro. I'll show you what it's all about. I'm going to beat you within an inch of your miserable, scrawny life, macho man. I don't know what you're talking, brother. You're going to have to show me, brother. Seven days away, brother. Show me. All right, some fun stuff there in their face-to-face promo between the Macho Man and Crush. He continues on with Garbage Fuji. Yeah, Garbage Fuji. Uh-huh. And I don't know why, but I, I found it funny. Crush said that, the, uh, that Randy Savage should have ran with your tail between your macho legs, brah. Macho legs. Hilarious stuff there. Unintentionally, probably, but hilarious stuff there by Kona Crush as we go on. Tag Team Champion Quebecers, Pierre is back. And they're accompanied to the ring by a skiing Johnny Polo. Johnny Polo decked out in ski garb this week, taking on the team of J.S. Storm and Sid Garrison on the Chiron. It does say J.C. Storm. But here we go. Pierre back. The Quebecers back in full force. And we see the a double press into the air as they drop Storm across the top rope. Oof, that had to hurt. And then Jacques slams Pierre on top of Storm, but they're not done yet. Then Jacques then with a backdrop on Pierre. He has a big senton down onto Mr. J.S. Storm. Jacques then locks in the Boston Crab as Pierre 
comes off the top rope with a big leg drop to the back of the head, and the Quebecers will get the win 2 minutes and 26 seconds. Now, typically, this is where the Quebecers will beat up the other job guy, but Garrison too smart to get in the ring. Jacques inviting him in to check on his partner, but instead Garrison too smart drops down off the apron. No, I'm good, guys. I'm good. So the Quebecers celebrate and hug as Sid Garrison gets back in the ring and drop kicks Jacques Rougeau from behind into Pierre. The Quebecers collide. What the hell is going on here? The Quebecers chase Garrison off. They chase him to the back. They should have saved this for someone better. I would have loved to have seen this with the 1-2-3 kid, even a Barry Horowitz type, but instead it's Sid Garrison drop-kicking the Quebecers together post-match, and nothing even comes to this. He just runs away, being chased away by the Quebecers, and clearly another Jacques Rougeau spot, as he just loved that comedy, and it's on to special report, as Alfred Hayes continues to talk about the recent Hart family feud, and once again we get these same promos from superstars from Brett and Owen Hart, so the action continues, and holy shit, a Virgil squash. What a way to go out here, December of 1993. We see Virgil on top one more time, this time taking on Barry Horowitz. As Virgil misses a high knee into the corner, Barry comes back with a hangman's neckbreaker. But it's Virgil right back on top, lands a few jabs, and boom, 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 right into the million-dollar dream. I wrote, question mark, what happened to the Russian leg sweep? Maybe Brett stole it back. But it's the million-dollar dream gets the win, two minutes and 46 seconds. Virgil leaves here with a victory. The action rolls on with Diesel in the ring over Tony Webb. We see the big boot. Once again, Diesel teases the knockout punch, but then just shoves Tony down to the mat and makes the easy cover. Two minutes, 48 seconds, and more action now. Men on a mission, Oscar in their corner, taking on the team of Joe Brennan and the Brooklyn Brawler. Early on, Mabel, the big 500-pound Mabel with a drop toe hold on the Brooklyn Brawler and a, and a float over. As Mabel bitches Brawler out, spinning around on top of the body of the Brooklyn Brawler, but unfortunately, at that point, Unky Mo tags in, and so the job guys actually take over on the offense. Way to go, Uncle Mo. But Mabel back inside, avalanche on Brennan. Then Moe's turn with a big avalanche on Brennan as well. Moe then whips Brennan into a Mabel spinning heel kick, and I wrote, holy shit! Did Mabel murder Brennan here with a spin kick? Kicked his face off. Men on a mission picking up the win, 2 minutes and 54 seconds. And hey, did you guys know there's a WWF fan club you can join? as we get Raymond Rougeau in the ring as he interviews Crush and Master Fuji. Rougeau implies that Crush turned his back on the United States of America, but, but the way Crush sees it, the fans let Crush down instead. Crush said he broke his back for these people, and all he got for it was some claps for his troubles. That, that's one way to put it. But it took Master Fuji to help Crush realize the fans are so far beneath him. They're lower than the gum stuck to the bottom of his shoe, brother. And speaking of old pieces of gum, there's a guy by the name of the Macho Man Randy Savage, Crush's former best friend. Crush watched Savage's back, but Macho Man stabbed Crush in his. Never again will that happen, because Mr. Fuji will be watching the back of Crush moving forward, and Randy Savage will have to look at Crush eye to eye. Crush says when he's through with the Macho Man, he'll be like yesterday's newspaper, all torn up. And in the garbage, I wrote LOL to whoever came up with that last line. You'll be like, yesterday's newspaper, brother, all torn up and in the garbage. Shaka, brah. And earlier I mentioned we're leading into Shawn Michaels versus Razor Ramon. We're leading into Bret Hart versus Owen Hart. But obviously, crushing the Macho Man, another big WrestleMania match. Well on its way to being put together right here, 
back in 1993. Three of the big matches coming up at WrestleMania already have their seeds planted, and we're well on our way to WrestleMania. As once again, we're treated to highlights of Yokozuna and The Undertaker from Survivor Series. It's back to the ring. Marty Jannetty over HD Ryder with a flying fist drop in just a minute and six seconds. Marty with another quick win this week, but some bigger things planned here in the next few weeks for MJ when he goes for the tag team titles with the 1-2-3 kit. As we see Double J vignette number seven yet again with Waldo, the country sax, and Frank Morrell. It's back to the ring. Adam Baum with Harvey Whippleman in his corner taking on Chaz Ware, the future mosh of the headbangers. So we've seen both headbangers here this weekend now. Bomb with the flying clothesline, an awesome tumble bump by Chaz here before the Adam Smasher powerbomb gets the win in just a couple of minutes. And during this match, we also learned that Tatanka will be returning to action next week. So the Native American will be back before too long. And we close out the show this week with face-to-face in the New York market. Johnny Polo and Harvey Whippleman talk about an upcoming match where Johnny Polo will have to team with his former wrestler Adam Baum to take on the likes of Razor, Ramon, and the 1-2-3 Kid. Let's listen to Johnny and Harvey. Right now we are joined, ladies and gentlemen, face-to-face by Johnny Polo, who will don the wrestling tights one week from tonight in this big tag team matchup. This is sort of a reunion for you, isn't it? Rather ironic, isn't it, Jim Ross? Myself and Adam Baum, the man I used to manage, will be stepping into the ring against the 1-2-3 Kid and Razor Ramon, who have been known to have some difficulties with one another in the past, so I think it's going to be quite ironic indeed. You know, hey, Harvey, what are you All doing, right. buddy? Here I am, bro. Spectacular brother. win you just had. I would have to say one thing. One week from tonight, it's going to be wonderful. <laughs> well, you guys are really a pair to draw to. Do you guys even trust each other? Look at you there. Uh, wow, put it there, Certainly we had, do. Certainly of course, we do. <laughs> we had many dealings in the past. Of course, one of them being Adam Baum, possibly the greatest talent the World Wrestling Federation has ever seen. And see, that's why I'm not worried, Harv, because I know I could beat up that snot-nosed kid. But that Razor Ramon, he's pretty tough, and he, he's a big guy. He's I, also the Intercontinental Champion, Jim. that's where Adam Baum comes in. I promise you one thing. The Razor's Edge will have no effect on Adam Baum if he should be so lucky even to get Adam Baum in that position. What, 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 I promise you one thing. The Adam Smasher will put Razor Ramon out. One, two, three. What that's if he tries of... to get a hold of me? Oh, that, wouldn't worry, that be great? Ladies and gentlemen, we'll see you there one week from tonight. Don't you miss it in the Meadowlands. And all right, Polo talking about teaming with his former client. It seems after about six months, Polo finally getting an opportunity. There's that word again, pal. To step into the ring, do some work with Janetti, the kid, Razor Ramon here. It won't last long, but it's cool to see Johnny Polo being put in these spots. And as we close out this edition of Wrestling Challenge, very professionally handled close to this episode, though this is Bobby's final episode. The Brain sells next week's program. Talks about everything that's coming up. It's almost as if he'll be here next week, but we know better than that. Jim Ross and Bobby Heenan close out this episode in their own fun little way. As Jim Ross wishes Bobby happy trails, to which Bobby replies, what's this happy trails? Bobby doesn't know what he's talking about. But thank you, Bobby Heenan, for the years, the years of fun on Wrestling Challenge and, of course, Primetime Wrestling. But we'll see Bobby still as part of Monday Night Raw. And I'll have a whole lot more to say at that point, but Bobby Heenan, after just a few weeks of guys like Ernie Ladd and Johnny Valiant failing as color commentators as part of the initial run of Wrestling Challenge, the first several weeks of Wrestling Challenge in the fall of 1986, it didn't take long, maybe one taping, for Bobby Heenan to take over, and it was off to the races ever since. Bobby Heenan, a part 
of wrestling challenge going all the way back to 1986 and outside of a brief run with Tony Schiavone and Gorilla Monsoon together in 89-90, Bobby Heenan, a longtime figure here on Wrestling Challenge. And while Bobby bid adieu on Wrestling Challenge, he's still here on All-American December 5th with Bobby the Brain Heenan and Vince McMahon both hosting the show. Bobby Heenan's final appearance here as co-host as well, and he did not let us down. Great stuff. The banter between Vince and Bobby here on this episode of All-American will definitely be added to the YouTube, to our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash wrestling grenade coming very soon really great banter here between vince and bobby witty throughout as you might expect and so we've wished bobby goodbye on wrestling challenge we've said goodbye to bobby heenan on all american here and now it's time for bobby heenan's final appearance in the world wrestling federation back here in its initial nine plus year run it's bobby the brain heenan here on monday night raw for december 6 1993 taped last week november 27th white plains new york Westchester County Civic Center. And last Monday, right away, we kick off and we see last Monday, Razor Ramon versus Big Daddy Cool. Shawn Michaels making his return to TV, attacking the bad guy before being clear to the ring of the 123 kid who makes the save for the IC champion. As we cut to a black background promo of Shawn Michaels standing with his version of the IC title belt, Shawn says that the 123 kid stuck his nose in and now his career will come to an abrupt halt here tonight on Monday Night Raw. And as the show begins, we hear from Bobby Heenan, Vince McMahon ringside. Heenan says that HBK will defend his IC title here tonight against the 1-2-3 kid. The kid could be the new IC champion. But Vince corrects Heenan, Michaels is not Intercontinental Champion brain. Come on now. Vince also warns Bobby on behalf of Gorilla Monsoon, who says that Bobby better watch his words. The Brain then has a message for Gorilla to sit at home in New Jersey and wolf down a box of bananas. Sit down and keep your mouth shut, ape man. Ooh, strong words from Bobby Heenan to Gorilla Monsoon here this week as we kick off this edition of Monday Night Raw and straight to the ring. It is the one, two, three kid taking on Shawn Michaels. As Vince McMahon says, Shawn has no business wearing that belt. He is not the champion. Bobby Heenan points out he was never pinned. Sean was never pinned. He never lost the belt. Jack Tunney stole the title from HBK. As the match begins, the two men trading punches. The kid tackles Shawn Michaels down. I wrote, wow. Fancy footwork from the 1-2-3 kid early, but Sean catches his foot. The kid, though, counters into a reverse spinning enzigiri, which sends Sean back, and then the kid with a spinning back kick sends HBK out to the floor where the kid springs off the middle rope in the ring, over the top rope, out of the floor, into a plancha. Down on the outside on HBK, and back inside, it's the 1-2-3 kid with a bridging German suplex for a near fall. The kid works the side headlock before Shawn Michaels up and over the corner. He hooks the kid in a flying head scissors and sends the kid out of the ring and to the floor. As the two men fight on the outside, the kid reverses a whip and sends Shawn Michaels into the ring post. Then it's the 1-2-3 kid with a somersault dive off the apron. But he's caught by Shawn Michaels, and it's turned into a power slam instead. On the floor! Great spot there. As the kid launches himself at HBK, Sean sidesteps and turns it into a power slam on the outside, and we head into our commercial break. And back from break, Sean Michaels works over the back of the 1-2-3 kid. He tries for a superplex, but the kid knocks HBK off the ropes, and the kid off the top rope instead into a Sean Michaels dropkick, which is nah, not so well placed. Sean Michaels catches the kid in the gut, however. Vince even tries to sell it at one point like they dropkicked each other, but I'm not buying it. 
Michaels back up, but runs into a spinning heel kick from the 1-2-3 kid, and both men back down again. The kid's slow, but he does make the cover for another near fall on HBK. Both men back up, but both men crack heads and right back down to the mat. As the referee lays in the count, the kid up first, and he fires up with awful-looking punches. Looks like he's hitting Sean with his wrist here, but an awesome-looking spin kick into the corner. Okay, that makes up for it. And the kid with the moonsault body block, the same move he used to pin Razor Ramon, but only a near fall here on Shawn Michaels. Then the kid back to the top rope, but misses a somersault senton. Both men back down as we head into a second commercial break. Then back from break, it's Shawn Michaels back on top with a super kick. And what's this? That's it, says Shawn Michaels. He looks like he's going for his pile driver. No, Shawn Michaels looking for the razor's edge. Shawn Michaels mocking the bad guy. Shawn Michaels scoops the kid up into the razor's edge and down onto the canvas. Shawn Michaels executes the razor's edge on the one, two, three kid. One, two, but Shawn pulls the kid up. What's the, he's not done yet. Shawn Michaels looks for a second razor's edge. Talk about adding insult to injury, adding injury to injury. And yes, a second razor's edge connects by HBK on the one, two, three kid. Talk about mocking the bad guy here. Sean's not done yet. He wants a third Razor's Edge. But out comes Razor Ramon, the IC champion. And as Sean scoops the kid up for a third Razor's Edge, Razor Ramon from behind grabs the kid by his ankles and pulls him out of the ring, saving the kid safely to the floor. I wrote, where's the DQ? Sean Michaels didn't do anything wrong. Razor just interfered in the match. But we get no call here. As Sean Michaels out to the floor, confronting Razor Ramon, slapping the face of the bad guy. And it's on. Now Razor Ramon tosses the gold off around his neck and begins to chase Shawn Michaels around ringside and up the aisle where Shawn conveniently trips and begins scooting back towards the entrance curtain. And as Shawn crawls through the entrance curtain, Razor leans in and boom, out of nowhere, we see a big right hand come through the curtain, blasting Ramon across the head. And Razor is down and out in the aisle as Shawn Michaels is back up assaulting the bad guy in the aisleway. Shawn Michaels now with a razor's edge on the concrete. The fucking razor's edge on the concrete. Fucking awesome. I loved this when it was happening live. Totally fucking awesome. Shawn then taunts Razor Ramon with his intercontinental title belt and slaps him around as the camera zooms in on a toothpick laying on the ground. I wrote LOL. I don't know what that was about. Oh, but Shawn, HBK not done yet. He goes for a second razor's edge and it connects on the floor. Although Ginger, Sean delivers a second razor's edge on the concrete to the bad guy. And I'm assuming this match ruled a a, a no contest. We saw about 10 minutes of action on the TV screen before Razor's interference. But this post-match angle, so fucking good. First of all, back in 1993, let let me set the stage for you guys, okay? Nowadays, we see this all the time. It's cute, whatever. Back then, you didn't do one another's finishers. It just wasn't done. Shawn Michaels not only does Razor Ramon's finisher, but it's one of the most devastating finishers in the business. Then, now, forever. See what I did there? Not only does he call out Razor Ramon by executing it on Razor's good buddy, the one 2 3 kid, repeatedly in the match, but then they sucker Razor Ramon into a diesel punch, which we'll get to in a minute, and then Shawn takes over and hits the bad guy with his own finisher, not in the ring, but on the concrete. And yes, if you go back and watch this, he did gingerly land his buddy Razor Ramon, Scott Hall, on the concrete. And I get it, but it was just cool, the sight to see somebody doing somebody else's finishers on the concrete, no less, a razor's edge on the concrete. 
no less. Just totally cool for the time. One of my favorite segments of all time when it went down. Just so fucking good. And so Shawn Michaels saved Diesel last week when Diesel took on the bad guy. This week, Diesel saved Shawn Michaels when he's crawling through the curtain because it was clearly a setup somehow. They just knew Razor was going to come out and chase Shawn to the back to run into this big right hand of Big Daddy Cool. But it was really weird on commentary because they continued to play off like they weren't sure who that was that hit Razor Ramon. It was very obvious. Diesel's entire body came through the curtain to deliver the punch. It was 100% obvious it was Diesel who delivered that knockout punch to Razor Ramon. But on commentary, they played off like, that, that had to have been Diesel. I don't know who, who was that. But very obvious if you were watching this that it was indeed Diesel. Now, as for the match itself, Shawn Michaels versus the 1-2-3 kid, and though it never had an announced finish, we're going to call it a no contest. And where it lacked in crispness in the ring, it made up for, I feel, in, in constant motion. There was always something going on, lots of action for their first time out here. Remember, we were to get those 1-2-3 kid versus Shawn Michaels IC title matches going back all the way back to September, October on the house shows had Shawn not went home. So they would have had ample time by this point to perfect a match, but either way, for TV, it was perfectly fine. Nothing wrong with it, and the angle was the real story here. So awesome. And I was so pumped when I saw this again for the first time in damn near close to 30 years. I probably haven't went back and watched this particular segment very often. It wasn't something I had forgotten. It was just something that I really don't think of very often. And so when I saw this coming to fruition, when I saw what was about to transpire, Oh, I was popping. I was marking out. I couldn't wait for it. I was reliving it all over again nearly 30 years later. Very cool stuff here by HBK and Razor Ramon. And I'll say it again. Yeah, Sean protected his buddy on the concrete, but it wasn't so much the devastating move being done on the concrete, but rather the audacity of Sean doing Razor's deadly move on both Razor Ramon and the 123 Kid and just doing it on the concrete, period. We just never saw shit like that back in that era. But that was only the beginning of the show, folks. The show continues on. Tag Team Champion Quebecers with Johnny Polo in their corner, taking on the team of Burt Centeno and Brian Walsh. Not Mike Walsh, as reported on the internet. And this week, Johnny Polo sporting a derby hat and brings a lawn chair out with him. He's got a little reading material while his Quebecers do the dirty work in the ring. And it's good to see referee Bill Alfonso back as well. I thought he left with the Giant Gonzalez, but Bill Alfonso back on WWF TV here, at least this week. Bobby Heenan on commentary does spend some time in this match talking trash on Gorilla Monsoon, wishing Gorilla would climb a tree for a banana and fall out and land like Razor Ramon. Wow, Bobby. Getting back to the action, Jacques Rougeau starts the match out on his knees, daring Centeno to do anything, and Jacques finds himself dropkicked by Centeno for his troubles, but Burt wisely runs off to tag in Brian Walsh, or Mike Walsh, according to Vince McMahon here, before Jacques can do anything to Centeno. But later in the match, Bert Centeno makes the mistake of tagging back in, and he pays for what he did earlier. Jacques Rougeau slaps him around the ring, stomps him down to the mat, and then it's a backdrop by Jacques on Pierre with a senton on top of Centeno. And then Bert whips so hard into the ropes that he legitimately trips and falls face first into the middle rope as Jacques and Johnny Polo begin laughing their asses off. Poor Bert Centeno whipped so hard by the Quebecers he trips and goes face first, bouncing his face off the middle rope, and you just know that's got to hurt. Johnny Polo and Jacques Rougeau laughing at the expense of poor Centeno there before Jacques lands the pile driver and the old Tower of Quebec. Pierre with the somersault sent on off the top rope and lands onto the, holy shit, the face of Bert Centeno. Pierre, 300-pound Pierre, somersault sent on off the top rope, 
lands back first onto the poor face of Bert Centeno. As the Quebecers really rough him up, they'll pick up the win four minutes and 25 seconds. And post-match, they place Centeno in the lawn chair before Pierre clotheslines him right back out of it. Not a good night for Bert Centeno as we see the Royal Rumble promo before heading to a special interview conducted by Vince McMahon at ringside in a split screen. It's Owen Hart backstage wearing the shades of his brother, Brett Owen Hart, giving Vince McMahon an interview this week as Vince wants comments about Brett winning Superstar of the Year last week from his baby brother, Owen. Owen admits that everything's been great for the hitman, Bret Hart, but what about Owen? What about me? What about Raven? What about Owen Hart? Owen admits that Brett winning Superstar of the Year was a great surprise for the hitman, but Owen has a much bigger surprise coming very soon that will have everyone talking about the rocket. I wrote, hmm. Quick and to-the-point promo there from Owen Hart. Yeah, Brett might be Superstar of the Year. He may be overshadowing Owen right now, but Owen has a very big surprise coming very soon that will have everyone talking about Owen Hart. We'll have to wait and see what that is as we go back to the ring. I really don't want to, but we have to. It's Doink the Clown, Dink in his corner, taking on Tony DeVito, and Dink in a fucking baby stroller. I wrote, fuck you. This match can't end fast enough for me. And ironically, it doesn't. You'll see what I mean here in a minute. Ray Apollo Doink just rides DeVito all match long. Tons of takedowns and basic stretches. Fujiwara armbar, camel clutch stretch. Crossface chicken wing of sorts, a full Nelson while DeVito's on his stomach. Doink even works a hammerlock, trying to prove this week that he can wrestle like Matt Bourne. After that abortion of a match with Bastion Booger on the Survivor Series showdown, it was all quote-unquote comedy hijinks. But this match, wrestling or not, complete shit. Even Vince McMahon says at one point, how many ways can you take a man down? That's all this match is, a variety of takedowns and rest holds. Very monotonous here. It's Ray Apollo trying to prove, hey, I know wrestling holds. But we do bust into the Matt Bourne repertoire of moves late in the match. Doink with the German suplex and a belly-to-belly. And this crowd is completely dead. He has just debuted this goofy babyface character. Just debuted Dink. And this crowd could give a shit less. I'm not kidding you guys. It's not me being biased. Go back and watch this match. Doink and Tony DeVito. This crowd is fucking dead. And it's very obvious right out of the gate, this new Doink shit is not working. Not for the masses. Late in the match, Doink works a side headlock as Dink just won't fucking get off the apron the entire match. Dink jumping around on the apron, sticking his face into the camera, bouncing up and down on the bottom rope, dancing and honking a horn. And finally, out of nowhere, Doink delivers a big right hand. First of all, that's Diesel's gimmick. Second of all, Bourne was left-handed, you fuck. But a big right hand drops DeVito, and the whoopee cushion gets the win. Five minutes and 57 seconds. A six-minute Doink the Clown squash match. A six-minute babyface Doink the Clown squash match. A six-minute babyface Ray Apollo Doink the Clown squash match. Just fucking shoot me. Talk about stretching things out for time. We move on, though. Double J, Jeff Jarrett, vignette number seven. Once again, Frank Morell and Waldo the Country Sacks. Before we learn that next week, the macho man Randy Savage will return to the ring here on Raw to take on Fatu of the Head Shrinkers. And the entire clip was all video footage of the macho man. Not one clip of Fatu. 
And that's probably telling of what will transpire here next week when those two go at it. But it's back to the ring as Crush with Master Fuji in his corner taking on Tony Roy. And the Macho Man joins the show on the phone from England. Remember the first week of December, I did mention that the Macho Man was wrestling Shawn Michaels over in Europe. But then I questioned if Macho Man is really in England, how is Shawn Michaels here on Raw? They're wrestling one another over there in Europe. Makes you wonder. Hmm. On the phone, Savage says that President Jack Tunney gave the Macho Man a wake-up call, removing him from broadcasting. Savage doesn't agree with Tunney, but that's okay because the madness is back in the ring. He'll be here on Raw next week versus Fatu. Savage then turns his attention to Crush on the phone call. As the interview begins cutting in and out, Bobby Heenan on commentary said he can't hear the Macho Man because it's hard to hear from under the bed, claiming that the Macho Man is hiding under the bed from Crush. And back in the ring, it's Crush with the tilt-a-roll backbreaker, as Jim Ross likes to call it the Tour of the Islands, before Crush presses Tony Roy over his head and drops him across the top rope, a la Macho Man. Crush gets the win four minutes and eight seconds. So the Macho Man calls in during the Crush match, and we talk about the return of Savage to the ring, and they try to talk to Savage about Crush, but the phone call cutting in and out over in Europe. And post-match, Bobby Heenan continues to mock Gorilla Monsoon, who he thinks is sitting home in New Jersey, when Vince McMahon informs Bobby Heenan that Gorilla Monsoon had called in earlier, but it wasn't long distance. It was a local call. A shocked Heenan says, what, a local call? That's right, Gorilla Monsoon right here in town. What could that mean? We'll have to find out after the commercial break. And when we return from commercial, just a simple sad face here on my notes as I wrote, bye, bye, Bobby. As we close out this edition of Monday Night Raw, Vince McMahon begins running down next week's card when out comes Gorilla Monsoon. Monsoon making his way to ringside, and here we go. I wrote, sigh. Bobby Heenan, sitting ringside, sees Gorilla coming his way on the monitor and freaks out to Vince McMahon. Monsoon makes his way to the announce desk and shakes Vince's hand before having words with the brain. Monsoon says he has good news for Bobby, and he has bad news. The good news is that Bobby won a free trip. The bad news is it's a free trip out of the WWF. I wrote, double sigh. Monsoon then snatches Heenan up by the back of his jacket and begins to walk him away from ringside, up the aisle. Bobby Heenan drops to his knees, pleading with Monsoon, apologizing for everything he's ever done. But Gorilla continues to drag Heenan into the backstage area where he has Bobby's bag already packed by the door. Gorilla then scolds Bobby one last time for everything he's ever done over the years. All of the lies Bobby has told. Heenan continues to plead with the Gorilla, but Monsoon informs Heenan that it's just too late. Monsoon then kicks the exit door open, wow, and tosses Bobby's bags out, and then Bobby Heenan thrown out shortly thereafter, thrown out of the building, as Gorilla informs Bobby Heenan that, that his luggage is out and you're out. Bobby Heenan thrown out of the building by Gorilla Monsoon as a disheveled Bobby Heenan steps in his bag, dragging it around on the parking lot as all of his toiletries and things begin to spill out everywhere. And in classic Bobby Heenan comedy, we see empty pop cans, plastic silverware, tidy whiteies, what Vince calls a sock, and a roll of toilet paper all falling out of Bobby Heenan's bags. Bobby tries to collect his belongings. He's looking for his belongings before banging on a bus door looking for a ride to the airport, before stopping and realizing this is goodbye. Heenan then turns back towards the building, facing the camera, zips up his jacket, 
fixes his collar, and a legit teary-eyed Bobby the Brain Heenan takes one final look at the building before saluting the WWF and walking away into the darkness as Raw fades to black. I wrote, triple sigh. This would be the last we saw of Bobby Heenan in the WWF until he returned for the gimmick battle royal at WrestleMania 17, which would be more than seven years later. And I'll just say my piece here on Bobby Heenan growing up. He was a fixture on my TV. I watched primetime every week. I never missed it. It was my favorite show every week. I loved the Gorilla and Bobby banter more than I loved the wrestling. Uh, He was always, uh, like I said, a fixture on my TV screen, whether it was Wrestling Challenge, managing guys like Rick Rude, Mr. Perfect, Andre the Giant. He was always on my TV screen. When he announced his retirement, to me as a young fan, out of nowhere in 1991, it killed me. I was so upset. Bobby Heenan, not only my favorite manager, maybe the only manager I liked. So I was just a giant fan of Bobby Heenan growing up. When they took primetime away from me, that upset me. Uh, Just always... Always a big fan of the brain, and to lose him here was to lose one of the greatest assets in wrestling history. My narrative on 1993 was never great. I've done, like I said in the past, I did my best to avoid the full year of 93. Yes, I went back and watched a pay-per-view here or there. I've watched most of the Raw season 1993 a couple of times over the last decade or so. But in general, I've done my best to avoid 93 as a total. And in my mind, yes, I remember Bobby being pretty good on Raw, but I haven't watched Wrestling Challenge probably all the way going back nearly 30 years. And as I was forced to go back and do this entire year of 93 in the WWF, I realized that Bobby Heenan was just as good in 93 as he was in any other era here in the WWF. If not better, he had really evolved his character into even more nonsense. It was almost a hybrid Bobby Heenan because we were getting everything we were already getting, plus he was putting baby faces over without you really realizing he was putting baby faces over here. He wasn't necessarily trashing him as much. And if there really was an MVP, I, I would definitely give that to Bobby Heenan here. They always say, you know, what's your Mount Rushmore of managers? Anyone who doesn't have Bobby Heenan on their Mount Rushmore, I don't know what they're doing. But I don't know, you could argue anybody. Now, now Jim Cornette comes pretty close to being equally as good as Bobby Heenan. But I, to me, at the same time, he's nowhere near as good as Bobby Heenan. But those are my one and twos. But it's just sad to see Bobby Heenan go. And as many times as I've seen this footage of Bobby being kicked out and leaving the company, I don't know that it ever choked me up as much as it did when I first watched it as it was happening. I I was believing it. Gorilla was throwing him out, and I was believing it. I was like, is this really it? He saluted. He walked away. Now, there's no observer in my world here in 1993, so I don't have any of the scoops. There's no internet here in my world in 1993. So I have nowhere to go for information. All I can do is watch TV and assume off of that. And they did a pretty good job of explaining that this is it for Bobby the Brain Heenan. He's easily, it came out of nowhere for me. And I, and, uh, I was heartbroken when it happened. And here again, this is probably the second closest I've ever felt as I really got into this here this time, watching it again. As I know for a fact, this is an end of a, of a true era here in, in professional wrestling, not just in the WWF, but in professional wrestling. And yeah, Bobby will go on to work for WCW for many years to come. But this was it for the, uh, the big nine-plus-year run of Bobby Heenan in the WWF. And the story goes, the brain wanted X amount of dollars to stay with the company. It wasn't anything unreasonable, he didn't feel, but not necessarily a big raise, but just X amount. And the WWF initially agreed to that offer, but then rescinded the offer because of their financial situation. They simply couldn't offer Bobby Heenan that much money. And over the Observer, DeMeltz even reported that Bobby Heenan was given one offer, then it was changed to a lesser amount. 
Titan also reportedly asked Bobby to move up to Connecticut, move his family up to Connecticut, or move himself up to Connecticut. Bobby was not a fan of doing that due to the fact that his family living down south, coincidentally near WCW. And Bobby wanted to be near his daughter, who was still in school at the time. You factor in WCW offering Bobby Heenan a solid cash offer, Mean Gene, his good buddy Mean Gene, already over there and on the ends with the company, Bobby not having to relocate his family, and a lot less travel for the brain as well. And though Heenan admittedly didn't want to leave the WWF, it was essentially something he had to do at that point in time. And you see the way this all played out. Gorilla and Bobby spent the past seven years together on TV, going back to at least April of 86 when Bobby joined Primetime Wrestling. A constant verbal jousting match with tons of comedy gold, and that's because these two TV enemies in real life were in all actuality the best of friends. A fitting way for Bobby to go out having his best friend, who played his biggest thorn, tossing him out of the WWF after nearly 10 years with the company. And also, according to Bobby Heenan in his shoot interviews, he claims that some of the writers, I'm, I'm guessing Pat Patterson because it sounds like his humor, had suggested that maybe when Bobby was tossed from the building, it would be shown that inside his luggage, inside his belongings, that Bobby would have some uh, women's lingerie, some stockings, garter belts, etc. Basically mocking Bobby the Brain Heenan on the way out. It's, it's comedy. It's gaga, pal. But Bobby Heenan stood up for himself and refused the nonsense but was fine with the final story of his good buddy Gorilla Monsoon ejecting him from the building and Bobby picked the belongings he felt the brain would have on him that he wanted to be part of the comedy spot to end the segment. And with Jerry Lawler gone from the company, and he couldn't touch Bobby Heenan as an announcer, by the way, but with Lawler already gone, WWF commentary would take a major hit moving forward with Bobby leaving now as he as Let's face it, without Heenan, Raw was not exactly the greatest commentary situation because let's face it, Bobby Heenan really elevated Raw once he came in there, and he really elevated Jim Ross on Wrestling Challenge. And when we go back, we can look at things in rose-colored glasses, remember it better than it really was. I was the opposite here. Like I said, for whatever reason, outside of Raw, I remember Bobby kind of just being there in 1993. But after dissecting all of this year, that couldn't be further from the truth. Bobby Heenan was truly one of the MVPs of the entire year in the company. And that won't be more obvious than what will happen with the WWF commentary here over the next several months as we see guys coming in and out. Gorilla Monsoon joining Jim Ross, Stan Lane here with Vince McMahon, and, and a revolving door of color commentators for Vince McMahon on Raw. Now, as for the rest of this episode of Raw, solid opening match with a really great angle to follow up. Sean versus the kid, Razor Ramon running in. But, but after that, besides the very brief Owen promo, the rest of the show was the definition of filler, crush, an extended doink squash, the Quebecers in a squash match, all longer than normal, by the way, and at least two of those guys absolutely don't need that. We don't need an extended squash with a doink the clown or a crush. And hey, since crush is now an asshole heel, wouldn't this be the perfect time to exact some revenge on doink for making a fool of him for most of 1993? I mean, they're in back-to-back -back matches here. Shouldn't crush have come out and ended things here with doink? You'd have to think. But we kick Raw off with a bang, the Razor Ramon Shawn Michaels angle, and we end things with some sadness as we say goodbye to Bobby Heenan, as the brain now gone from the WWF. And we move on to more WWF superstars for December 11th, taped back November 10th, Delhi, New York. It's Vince McMahon and smiling Stan Lane. Stan Lane still with Vince McMahon here. So we head to the ring tag team champion Quebecers, Johnny Polo in their corner, taking on the team of Chaz Ware 
and Paul Jones as the job guys attack the Quebecers from behind drop kicks, send the Quebecers out of the ring and to the floor while the jobbers hold up the title belts. New tag team champions, Paul Jones and Chaz Ware. Someday, Chaz will be a WWF tag team champion, but not today, Chaz, as the Quebecers slap Ware around the ring, and it's Le Bombe de Rougeau, Jacques, with the flying butt press off the top rope, and the Tower of Quebec, somersault Sinton by Pierre, onto the chest of Ware, and I mean onto the chest of Ware. The Quebecers pick up the win one minute and 46 seconds. Post-match, these Paul Jones eat an Alabama slam as Jacques Rougeau turns it over into the Boston Crab Pierre, then off the top rope with a leg drop to the back of the head of Jones. So both the job guys laid out for their troubles earlier in the match. The Quebecers then mock the job guys even further by sitting them up side by side and placing the tag team titles around their waist, raising their arms. Total douchery here by the Quebecers and Johnny Polo. This is so Jacques Rougeau, so Johnny Polo. It was great shit. As we roll on to update, and Gorilla Monsoon announces it's bye-bye Bobby Heenan. Gorilla had had one too many bananas from the brain as we see clips from Raw of Gorilla throwing Bobby out of the building. We also learn that the Royal Rumble main event will see The Undertaker challenge Yokozuna as Monsoon alerts us that Jim Cornette did it again. He got the claws in again. Only one title chance for The Undertaker. One shot does The Undertaker get. If he wins at the Rumble, he's the champion. But if he loses, no more rematches, much like Lex Luger at SummerSlam. But guess what? Paul Bear got a clause in as well. This match won't be any ordinary match. It will indeed be a casket match. In order to win the match, you have to place your opponent in the casket and close the lid. And I wrote, wasn't the entire point of getting Jim Cornette to manage Yokozuna to prevent shit like this? Jim Cornette was going to make sure that Yokozuna wasn't screwed over in the contracts. And here we go. As we even get a promo from Cornette, along with Yokozuna and Fuji, Cornette says he doesn't make mistakes, and he didn't make a mistake. There was no fine print in this contract. The contract that Cornette signed didn't have the casket match clause, but the copy he got back sure did, implying that Jack Tunney, maybe some shenanigans went on there, as Paul Bear has pulled a fast one. In the main event for the Royal Rumble, Yokozuna defending his title against The Undertaker in a casket match. But Corny assures us that Yoko has no fear for The Undertaker. Their confrontation at the Survivor Series was simply a feeling out process. And now Yokozuna knows exactly what he has to do to beat the dead man. And it's back to the ring for Bastion Booger as he nails a Karachi crunch into the post on the outside and then a trip to the back cave. Booger gets the win over Tony Webb here in just a minute and 40 seconds. And post-match, Booger stuffing his face with Hostess Snowballs, the pink ones. Vince McMahon, of course, has no idea what they are. He calls them marshmallows but I wouldn't expect Vince to know a whole lot about junk food. And we're on to -to face-to-face in the Peacock as Double J Jeff Jarrett makes his debut here. On face-to-face, talking about heading in to the World Wrestling Federation, Jeff Jarrett going to make his in-ring debut next week here on TV. But first, let's hear from old Double J. Well, earlier this week, I had the opportunity to catch up with Double J. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation We talked earlier this week, and I kicked it off by asking him if he was excited about being in the WWF. (laughs) Being excited is an understatement, Ross. You know why? I'll tell you why, Ross. It's because Double J is going to launch his music career. You know, down in Music City, Ross, I can't get my break. You know why I can't get my break? Because I'm a local boy. 
But when I get done using the WWF, yeah, they're going to rename it, Ross. They're going to rename it the Double JF. <laughs> then I'm going to be known worldwide from Tel Aviv to Tokyo to Texas. And then I'm going to come back to Music City, Tennessee. Yeah, and I'm going to come back to Buddy Lee Attractions. And he's going to be begging me, please, sign. I want to be your agent. Then I'm going to go over to some record company. And all of them are going to be begging me, please, please let me have your debut album. <laughs> well, Double J, have you assessed the... Uh high level of competition here in the World Wrestling Federation? I certainly have. You don't think I'm no dummy. I've done my homework. Sure, I've heard about the Macho Man. I've heard about The Undertaker. And I've heard about the Hitman, Bret Hart. And I'm going to use all of them. That's exactly right. I'm going to use them as stepping stones to get to the very top. <laughs> well, I hear that uh, you're talking about meeting Bret Hart here very early in your WWF uh, day career. Is that true? That's it. it seems like you've been doing your homework, Ross. Oh, Double J, the excellence of execution, Brett the Hitman Hart. You know what you are? You're the biggest grease spot the WWF's ever seen. And what I do with grease spots, what does anybody do? <laughs> they spray a little something on them and wipe them right out. And that's exactly what I'm going to do, Brett the Hitman Hart. All right, and a reminder, the WWF headed to the Meadowlands tomorrow night, December 12th. And here in the New York market, it's a face-to-face. -face. We're going to hear from Lex Luger and Ludwig Borga one final time. They talk about the upcoming stipulation where Luger must wear the forearm pad in his match against the Hellraiser from Helsinki. Now, earlier this week, I caught up with Lex Luger and Ludwig Borga. They're going to meet tomorrow night at the Meadowlands, but Luger's got to wear that arm pad. I asked Lex if the stipulation bothered him. It doesn't bother me whatsoever, Jim. As a matter of fact, I welcome the opportunity to wrestle Mr. Borga with no excuses. It seems to me, Mr. Borga, that defeat for you is a very bitter pill to swallow. So this time around, right here in the Meadowlands, we get to do it just one more time. And this time we find out what you're really made of, Mr. Borga. If you say what you are is what you really are. If you're the kind of athlete you say you really are, then you, after the match, when you go down and defeat, Right here in the Meadowlands, you will finally admit that Lex Luger won the match. Lex Luger certainly seems confident. He certainly seems fit for tomorrow night's battle in the Meadowlands. But folks, let me tell you, so is Ludwig Borga. I talked to Mr. Borga this week. Here's what he had to say about tomorrow night's event in the Meadowlands. Well, Jim Ross, I have a lot to say. For the first, last time Lex Luger fought me, he cheated. He used that steel-plated elbow. That's the only way he got me down. He never really won me. I got so surprised that the officials did not step in and stop the fight and disqualify Lex Luger. But this time, wait a minute, Jim Ross. This time it's going to be a different deal. Because last time I had Lex Luger on his hands and knees begging for mercy. And I gave a little inch back. But not this time. This time it's going to be hard and tough. Am I going to finish this American so-called healer once and for all? You may hear a different song sung tomorrow night in the Meadowlands, I'll tell you that. Yeah, that's going to be a good night, Lex Luger. So Borga feels he was cheated last time. But this time he's going to take care of Next loser. Back to the ring. It's IRS stepping in the ring against Mike Moraldo, the future ace darling, as we get our special ring announcer this week, Liz Woodard. But IRS only allows her to announce Mike Moraldo before he cuts her off because she's likely a tax cheat. Or so he claims. IRS gets the easy win here with that write-off, one minute and 40 seconds. And I've got to stop doing this. Remember when I went down that rabbit hole 
with our very first guest ring announcer, J.B. Yetter, a couple weeks ago here on TV. Well, I went on another Google search here for Liz Woodard to see what she's up to today. And yet again, I find another guest announcer here, deceased. Liz Woodard also passed away in 2020, much like J.B. Yetter. In fact, just a month before J.B., Liz passed away in April of 2020 at the age of 58. And I promise you guys, I had no knowledge of any of this before we walked into this. I just thought it would be kind of a cool thing to go back in time and look up some, and look up what some of the guest ring announcers are doing today. And unfortunately, in this situation, the first two I look up have since passed away in recent years. So certainly my thoughts and condolences to their friends and their families. As this episode of TV rolls on, though, it's Tatanka taking on the Brooklyn Brawler. This is actually the return of the Native American Tatanka after that nearly career-ending injury at the hands of Ludwig Borga and Yokozuna. Tatanka has been off TV for some six weeks here, but he's back in action now here in mid-December, though he hasn't learned any new moves as it's chops, chops, and more chops before we get the war dance and the papoose to go. Tatanka picks up the easy win over the brawler, two minutes and 35 seconds, and on commentary, the commentary would suggest that Lex Luger must be moving on from Borga fairly soon after the Survivor Series win because Tatanka, it would seem, is back for revenge against the Hellraiser from Helsinki. From there, we hear about the December 16th Salvation Army charity benefit and the Paramount at Madison Square Garden. WWFers will be there. Among others, a $75 entry will get you some dinner and some time with celebrities as you have the opportunity to donate your time and money to the Salvation Army. And we move on now. It's sit-down interview time. Vince McMahon in the locker room, seated next to the Rocket Owen Hart. Vince McMahon going to ask all of the hard questions to Owen Hart. And you can best bet there were questions asked about the hitman. Owen states that friction didn't start between he and Brother Brett at the Survivor Series, but it started at the beginning of Owen's life. He's always heard about everything that Brett did, everything that Brett accomplished. But Owen was the better athlete, better at academics, and it's about time people started talking about Owen Hart. Vince McMahon points out that Owen was the only one eliminated at the Survivor Series. What a douche move, Vince. Owen explains he was ready to beat a third opponent that night, but Brett got in his way on the apron, and while his brothers and father were busy checking on Brett Hart, Owen Hart was distracted long enough for Shawn Michaels to pin him, and Owen Hart was the one screwed. Owen Hart was the one eliminated at the pay-per-view. It was the biggest match of Owen's life, and getting pinned while Brett is being checked on was just unacceptable for the Rocket. Then the Hearts won the match and celebrated in the ring without Brother Owen, and that's why he came back out to let Brett know he wasn't pleased. Quite frankly, Owen is sick of hearing about his brother Brett. It's time for people to start talking about Owen. Owen is sick of hearing about being Brett's brother. It's time for people to start talking about Owen Hart. Vince then continues to stir the pot, but Owen, you are Brett's brother. No, Brett is my brother, says the Rocket, the brother of Owen Hart. Vince then runs down Brett's accolades. Former WWF champion, former IC champion, former tag team champion, Superstar of the Year. Let's not forget King of the Ring, Vince. Vince implies that Owen is living in Brett's shadow. Owen admits he is living in Brett's shadow. He has been all his life, but that stops now. To prove that Owen is the better man, the better brother, the better heart, 
Owen Hart challenges Brett to a match, one-on-one. That is, if Brett has the guts to accept the challenge. Wow, Owen Hart challenging his brother Brett. And now we just sit back and wait for Brett to respond. Great little promo there between Vince and Owen. I'm not sure how many takes they did or what Vince wanted worked in there, but for someone who hasn't had to cut too many promos over the years, Owen did a fantastic job here playing it up, admitting, yeah, I am the sh- in the shadow of Bret Hart. I always have been, and it's time to step out of that shadow and people to realize that I am better. I know that I'm better, and I'm going to prove it. You may even have to feel for Owen here a little bit, though the fans of the Hitman won't. But Owen Hart issuing a challenge to Brother Brett, and we will only have to wait a week to hear what the Hitman has to say in response as we go back to the ring, the smoking guns taking on Corey Student and Joe Brennan, and bang, bang, the cap gun's still there as Bart Gunn nails the powerbomb while Billy Gunn comes off the top rope at the elbow. Nice combination move as we're moving away from that revolver pile driver, only took a half a year, and the guns pick up the win two minutes and 40 seconds. And it was really odd as we get one sentence in the smoking guns match from Stan Lane. One sentence that, hey, there's an upcoming women's title tournament final scheduled for this week. Vince doesn't even respond. That's it. Just randomly in the middle of the guns match, it's mentioned. One time, one sentence. And oh, it's time. For the final Double J vignette, vignette number eight. In fact, it's a compilation of all the other vignettes spliced in together here. Really cool stuff as Jeff Jarrett begins to spell his name from several of the other vignettes. And Double J is ready to make his debut here in the WWF next week. I can't wait. As we go back to Raw, we see highlights of the 1-2-3 kid taking on Shawn Michaels. The interference from Razor Ramon leading to the attack of Shawn Michaels on the bad guy in the aisleway. And once again, it was HBK and the kid, then Diesel involved with Razor, and, well, click rules, even back here in 1993. As we go back to the ring, the model Rick Martell taking on J.S. Storm as Martell counters a hip toss with a choke slam. Pretty damn cool there seeing the model bust out a choke slam and a gut-rich suplex and backbreaker before the Boston Crab ends this just 2 minutes and 15 seconds. Rick Martell... Gets a win, but has fallen way down the totem pole from his IC title finalist match with Razor Ramon just a couple of months ago. He has dropped down to the mid-card here in record time. And I wrote sigh for such a talented worker as Rick Martell. As we go back to -to face-to-face in the Peacock, it's time to talk the Royal Rumble. As the upcoming casket match has been announced between Yokozuna and The Undertaker, we're going to hear from Jim Cornette and Mr. Fuji. Concern me? Does it concern you? Mr. Fuji? No, no, no. No, it doesn't doesn't concern us, Jim Ross. What does it concern Yokozuna then? No, it doesn't concern Yokozuna. The only thing that concerns Yokozuna is if we get him to the dinner table on time. That's all he's concerned about. Because wrestling opponents is nothing to him. And you see, that's exactly why we're not concerned, Jim Ross, because I don't care who else he's beaten. Yokozuna's beat everybody else, too, so that makes no difference. I don't care who else The Undertaker has beaten. The only thing that concerns us is whether he tops Yokozuna for the title, and that just ain't going to happen. Well, after what I saw at the Survivor Series, it would seem to me that Yokozuna may be just a little bit intimidated by The Undertaker. I think what you saw at the Survivor Series and what every other normal human saw, well, excuse me, not every other normal human, was two different things. You see, what happened was The Undertaker got in the ring and gave it his best shot. But Yokozuna, on the other hand, he got in the ring and he was just testing The Undertaker out. He was seeing how far he needed to go. 
He wasn't giving it full shot. He wasn't giving it full force. No, he was he was playing with the guy. Yeah, that's what he was doing. He was playing with Nobody's the guy. Nobody's going to believe that story. Well, Sheriff, I oh. tell it enough. I mean, I'm telling it because it's the truth. And let me say this right now. Undertaker, you're in store for the worst beating of your life and your oh, death put great, together. Great. By the time that Paul Bearer gets finished picking up all the Undertaker pieces, uh. <laughs> there's going to be nothing left, nothing able to be put together. He's going to be put back together and look like a washing machine. Very and I true. guarantee you this, there's no fear in Yokozuna's heart and no fear in his eyes, Jim Ross, because he knows after the Survivor Series that he can take the Undertaker out. Well, the bottom line, though, gentlemen, is you've got to look back at all the people the Undertaker's defeated. It reads like a who's who. Remember, <laughs> he's never lost. This is a match he's perfected. He's perfected this match. Oh, he may have perfected the match, but I got news for you. Don't take a rocket scientist to break somebody down, knock them out, and stuff them in a box. And a list of people that Yokozuna has beaten starts right up at the top with Hogan and goes on down. And it'll end with the Undertaker. Sayonara, man. <laughs> And Jim Ross there asked Cornette if he's concerned because The Undertaker has never lost a casket match. I wrote, lie. Taker was dropping casket matches to Sid Justice back in 1991. But JR wasn't here, so he gets a pass as we move on. WWF headed to the Meadowlands tomorrow night, December 12th. And one of the matches on the card, you guessed it once again, one more promo from Crush, brother. And the Macho Man Randy Savage. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Macho Man Randy Savage. Yes, yes. But uh, I have never been more physically oh. or mentally ready for anything in my life, brother. The fans say you stabbed your best friend right in the back, and they're looking forward to this match tomorrow night. Uh, it doesn't matter what the fan says. Master Fuji taught me that the fans have been a thorn in my side since day one. Yes. But I've eliminated the fans from my life and from my mind, Macho Man Randy Savage. Tomorrow night will be the first and the last time you step into the ring with me, brother, because I'm going to finish it tomorrow. <laughs> well, I think we knew the answer to that question. Yes, Crush is ready. He's ready for this big event in the Meadowlands tomorrow night. But folks, let me tell you, so is Macho Man Randy Savage. He may be too ready. Here's what he said earlier this week. Tomorrow night's Black Sunday. Let everybody know that it's a crush crush night. Yeah, that's what it is, Black Sunday. Crush, you and me are going to get it on in the Meadowlands, yeah. And uh, you're going to think that the New York Giants just uh, trounced you and then the New York Jets followed by and slapped you. But it's nothing compared to what the Macho Man's going to do. Out of retirement, yeah, and doing the thing like I've never done it before. Do you know what that means, yeah? Reaching back, yeah to uh, touch you in a special way. Crush, crush is the new theme of the 90s, yeah. The middle is gonna be on fire. Black Sunday, crush, crush, macho man is doing a thing, and I'm gonna whoop ya. Well, folks, I've said it before, this is gonna be an old-fashioned slobber knocker. This is going to be intense. And that'll close out this episode of Superstars, as well as this episode of The Grenade, as there was nothing happening on Mania, so we'll close up shop for this week and leave you the rest of 93 for next week, where we officially close out 1993 in the World Wrestling Federation. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. All right, guys, and that'll wrap up this week's episode of the Wrestling Memory Grenade, episode 56, right around the corner. It's the final three weeks of WWF TV here in 1993. I had hoped to do it all in one episode, all of December, five weeks of TV plus news and notes, 
and it just wasn't meant to be. Just far too much information to try to pack into one episode, and I wanted to do things right, just like we have done things right all year long here in 1993. I didn't want to half-ass it at the end just to move along. I wanted to give every week and every episode of TV the proper respect it deserves to really analyze and dissect here for everyone that's been listening all year. I feel like you deserve that much. So next week, it's the final three weeks of WWF TV here in 1993. And we'll have tons more on the Brett and Owen situation, Razor Ramon and Shawn Michaels, as well as Razor Ramon and IRS. It's all things heading into the Royal Rumble in 1994. And we'll begin hearing some of the participants announced in the next coming weeks, as well as the debut, the in-ring debut of Double J, Jeff Jarrett. Will Lex Luger be allowed to enter the Royal Rumble match? More on that WWF Championship feud between Yokozuna and The Undertaker. Tatanka returns to the ring, looking for revenge against Ludwig Borga. We'll even see Johnny Polo, manager Johnny Polo, step into a WWF ring here on TV next week as part of the grenade. And next week's episode will mark the official ending to 1993 here in the World Wrestling Federation before we move on to 1987 in the WWF in just a few weeks' time. And a final reminder this week, head over to Twitter at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. And follow us now for your chance to win our current free prize giveaway and all future free prize giveaways. All you have to do is follow us on Twitter at Wrestling Grenade or follow and like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Wrestling Grenade or follow us on both Twitter and Facebook to double your chance of winning said free prize giveaway in this current free prize giveaway. Four magazines spanning four decades of professional wrestling, 1952, 1966, 1974, and 1984. Four great magazines from years gone by, and only one winner. It could be you. All you have to do is follow us on social media for your chance to win. And we'll announce that winner in the inaugural episode of 1987 in the WWF that's going to be setting the stage for 1987 as we look at the fallout from 1986 and everything going in to 1987 we'll be announcing the winner of our current free prize giveaway going to be giving away more fun stuff in the future also head over to youtube.com slash wrestling grenade and subscribe now so you never miss a beat as i continue to add new footage each and every week tons of wwf from 93 up there right now tons of nwa in 1989 up there right now tons of the uswa versus wwf feud from 93 as well and i'll continue to add more from 1993 finish that up and pretty soon be on the lookout for 1987 WWF footage, as well as some other territory stuff I've been editing out. Looking forward to posting that as well on youtube.com slash wrestling grenade. So again, subscribe now so you never miss a thing. And last but not least, we can use your help to keep the WrestleCopia Podcast Network live. There are no ads on our shows. And for that reason, the only income we get is through our patrons. So if you could please go over to patreon.com slash WrestleCopia and give it a shot. Over 12 tiers of goodness there at the WrestleCopia Patreon account, including the $5 all-access tier. Gives you all of my insanely detailed show notes from all past episodes of the Wrestling Memory Grenade, as well as Monday Warfare, The Battles Within. Also gets you early access to several of our podcasts, plus unedited versions of Tom Robinson's TR Shocks the World podcast, our Patreon-exclusive watch-along series covering tons of WWF and WCW pay-per-views, Saturday night's main event, Coliseum videos. We even recently did March to WrestleMania 9, the USA special. Lots of good stuff up over there at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. But that's not all. We've added more to our $5 all-access tier. What's that, Ray? What you say? 
That's right, we've added even more to the all-access tier. Now, remastered editions of the earliest episodes of the Wrestling Memory Grenade. Not only did I go back and correct the sound quality, but I also left in several segments that were initially edited out of the shows the first time they dropped. So not only will you get a better sound quality to some of our earlier shows here on the WrestleCopia Podcast Network, going back a couple years, but you'll also find new segments of the show, new conversation that didn't make air when the shows initially dropped. Very cool stuff there. You get all of that at the $5 all-access tier, and I'm working on a little more, so now is a great time to subscribe. And remember, you can cancel any time, but I don't think you will. But this makes a perfect time to subscribe to the all-access tier because not only do you get all of that, I'm working on another very special idea. It's in the works right now. It should be up fairly soon. So subscribe now before all of the slots are filled. That address one last time, patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. That's WrestleCopia. And I'm not going to lie to you guys. We can really use your financial support to keep the show up and running to pay the bills here, so to speak. And there are tiers lower than $5, as low as a $1 tier. So go check it out. Show us you're there. Show us that you care. And all right, guys, with all of that out of the way, we'll be back next week to close up 1993 here in the WWF, the final three weeks of December in 93. But for now, this is Ray Russell saying from pillar to post and coast to coast, you pull the pin and we'll pick up the pieces right here on the Wrestling Memory Grenade. We'll see you next week. Don't miss it. Be there.